Hello, and welcome to the Squawmates podcast. This is a very serious podcast about herpetology, where we talk about herpetology and reptiles and amphibians. And I am one of your three co-hosts. I am Mark D. Schertz. And uh, I'm joined by my two other hosts, who are apparently going to introduce themselves. Hi, I'm uh, Ethan Kosak. I am a cartoonist and general layabout. And I'm, a, I'm Gabriel Ugueto, and I'm a scientific illustrator and paleo artist. And I Excellent. used to work in herpetology, but not so much anymore. Not so much, no. <laughs> they threw him out. Now it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We signed a petition. It was a whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So I suppose I didn't really say anything about who I am. I'm just now this person talking into your earphones. Um, I am a, a, a herpetologist as well. Well, I'm a, I'm I'm the actual herpetologist here. The only one working yeah. at this moment. He's the yeah. qua- you're the qualified individual. I'm I'm the yes. qualified one. So we we break it down like this. Ethan's the funny one. Gabriel's the talented slash good-looking one, and I'm the qualified slash talkative one. So, hello and welcome. Um, This is a new podcast. It's new, brand new, to your ear things on the side of your face. And um, (laughs) we are glad that you are joining us here. And, you know, to sort of give you an overview of what this whole thing is going to be about... uh, well, we'll get to that in a second. But basically, we wanted to talk just briefly about why we decided to bring you a new podcast, seeing as there are a few others on sort of similar topics. Gabriel, do you want to summarize? About? About why we decided <laughs> to podcast. <laughs> oh, um, well, we decided to podcast because there are not very, there are not many. Um, podcasts that deal with reptiles and amphibians in detail and we thought we had something to say about it this is true in general i think mostly it's because we think we have a lot to say yes <laughs> and we hope that people and want to also hear what we some have to of say. it's some of it's interesting even some of it is interesting <laughs> and and also some of it is relevant and i think that is key <laughs> so. i hope you guys no. like peeping frogs Yes, we hope that you like frogs, especially the obscure sort of brown and ugly ones, um, because there will be a lot of discussion about that. But also other pretty things. This is we're going to be talking about all kinds of news stuff, and um, you know, also sort of ragging on our herpetocultural friends, but in a nice and constructive way. And um, yeah, so. You know. And all about the latest research in herpetology exactly. and the latest exactly. papers that have come out and yeah. all those things. So, the, I mean, the main sort of thing that we want to do is summarize all of the big stuff that has come out since the last episode. And um, especially like the really hard hitting things or the things that are sort of pulling together big pieces of research over the last few years. So you'll see how that develops as we go along. Um, but yes, thank you for listening. Um, that's it. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> it's over already. Oh, so emotional. That was fast. Um, yeah, that was. Yeah, it yeah. was. It was, you know, fast. But I good. feel like we learned a lot. We did. <laughs> yes. We did. Uh, especially the users who are now like, all right, users, listeners, 
who are all like, okay, this is, that was fun. Goodbye. Um, <laughs> no, we're far from over, listeners. I, I apologize for that. Um, Both of you. But the next thing that we want to do is, or the first thing that we want to do, really, except for the introduction thing, is talk about sort of what we're working on. This section of the podcast is called Works in Progress. I hate you. It's such a good section no. title. No. It's so good. <laughs> all right, all right. Am I going? I think I think Ethan's going to go first, yeah. Okay. Uh, I am working on illustrations. Uh, I'm actually working on the follow-up book to the Does It Fart book, which is called, uh, yes. which is called True or Poo. Mm-hmm. And, a creative uh, and, and brilliant name. Thank yes. you. I didn't come up with it, but... Uh, <laughs> But I, I, I'm just about done with that. I'm working on the cover illustration right now. Excellent. So for those of the listeners who don't know, although I can't imagine there are any of those, but some of the listeners may not know that there was just this hugely successful book that came out of a Twitter conversation, um, which started with someone asking a herpetologist on Twitter whether or not snakes fart. And David Steen, Shout that out. was the herpetologist. Yeah. Yeah, shout out to David Steen. Hey, David, how's it going? Um, <laughs> <laughs> One of the many Daves. Yes, yes exactly. One of the Daves. many Daves. We may get to that on another day. Um, <laughs> basically, anyway, to, to cut a long story short, there was a book, and Ethan illustrated the book, and then it became a New York Times bestseller. Somehow. And now they're making another one. Yes. So Ethan is famous now. Ethan is famous. Somehow. Ethan's also famous because he makes like all of the avatars you've ever seen on science Twitter. Indeed. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Actually, you, you, you should be making one of mine, Ethan, because, um, because I might be uh, in one of the books that we did with Ben Garrett. Um, oh, I yeah. I have a written section, so you might have to do a little, <laughs> a little one of me. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Excellent. I think... Gabriel, you also don't have one. So Gabriel and I might be the only two people on Science Twitter who don't have one of you. That's why I don't. Follow, the only that's two. why I don't follow you guys. <laughs> that explains everything. All right, um, Gabriel, do you want to go next? Yes, I am doing a lot of stuff. I'm actually very happy because I've just finished a commission that I had for a paper. I was commissioned to do um, several illustrations of lizards in a Twitter for a paper about the osteoderms of, um, of lizards. Very so cool. describing the structure of osteoderms in lizards. And it was a nightmare because I have a very short time to work on it, but I finally finished. And I did also- they, Did they compare it all with archosaurs? Uh, I cannot divulge much, All right. much of the paper. Did you just imply that tuataras are not lizards? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. Well, I, 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 I actually said that tuataras are not lizards. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, but also, but also, I've been um, working on a, a commission for um, a, a, a paper that I, that is going to be written about. Um, Caribbean boas, so I have to do a oh, couple that's cool. of Caribbean boa species, and um, I hope I've you like drawing tiny scales. Very, yeah, well, that's my life. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I've been working on a very uh, long and big commission for a book that will be published in Spanish about the Cenozoic birds. 
So mm. I've been constantly working on that for a long time. Cool. And I am going next week, I think, to um, a showing of a documentary about anoli lizards in uh, the science museum, the, the uh, Frost Science Museum here in Miami. Now I got invited because I did uh, 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 the illustrations for some of the animations that are used in the documentary. So that's gonna be really cool. And hopefully next time we do the next uh, podcast, I will have like a, you know, I will tell you what's gonna happen because there's gonna be a Q&A <clears throat> with some of the authors and some anoli uh, herpetologists, uh, researchers. So that's going to mm. be very interesting. So that's hopefully next so time cool. I'll We're tell gonna you about it. We're going to have to do a whole, a whole anal episode. Yeah, we'll do we'll do a Knowles. I mean, I think we actually might wind up adding a whole segment for a Knowles because there's constantly a Knowles stuff coming out. Yes, yes, yes. Um, as long as we call it, Gabriel does yeah. anal. <laughs> Only that is pronounced only that it, only that is pronounced anoli, <laughs> not <Yeah>. anoli. <laughs> which almost makes it sound Italian. But anyway, um, <laughs> so I guess I should also talk about myself. I didn't realize that you guys were going to talk about yourselves in such detail and what's going on. So now I have to think about what I'm actually doing. Um, I am currently working on finishing the three big papers for my PhD which is about uh, sort of evolution and systematics of reptiles and amphibians in northern Madagascar. So um, people who know me from Twitter know that I have a, a few publications and um, still they're not quite enough slash not enough of the big sexy ones to, for me to want to wrap up my PhD quite yet. So there are sort of three big papers that I'm working on that will uh, hopefully, at least, well, at least one of two of them will get into sort of a high-ranking, double-digit impact factor journal type thing. How does that? And how does that work? Because I mean, it's like, well, it's Thursday. Mark discovered a new lizard. Well, that's exactly <laughs> the thing. These Thursdays where I discover new lizards, these are not days where I produce high-impact publications <laughs> so we publish a lot of papers and I, I write a lot of papers I write a lot um, a lot a, a lot. lot he's one of yeah. the most prolific herpetologists that I know which are usually I'm not, I mean and I work with many herpetologists who are very lazy and they take forever <laughs> to publish a species or to describe yeah. it okay so, lazy I am well I'm sort of lazy but I am relatively effective at managing my manuscripts um, but without just, getting into too much detail, you just have to set him out in the sun for a little while, and then he just he yeah, just exactly. Ramps right it's up. all about it's all about the thermoregulation. Um, so <laughs> That's I just the bask secret. in the glow of the computer screen. That's how I survive. Um, so, so these big papers. One of them's on chameleons. Another one's on microhylid frogs, and the other ones on basically the the survey results and creating an atlas from my field work in Madagascar in 2000, well, over Christmas, basically. So I was there for three months. And now I'm writing up all kinds of stuff from that. So I'm working on lots and lots and lots of things. I have eight pa eight papers in review right now. And- um, Whoa. But who's getting Well, no, s seven, because one was just accepted last week. Um, but <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we have a few papers on the go, so. 
I'm working on all kinds of stuff. But what's actually stressing me out right now, much less than those things, is the fact that I've just realized, like, last month, that I need to start applying for postdocs. Which is horrendous, because it's so much brain power. And there are only so many hours in the day. And if you use all of them for being productive, but you're still not doing the things that you need to do, you, you wind up very stressed. So I'm quite stressed right now. Um, so we decided to make a podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have a commission line that's like 50 deep. And uh, yeah, I'm yes. right there with you. Exactly. Yeah, I think we're exactly. all in the same boat. <laughs> we all, but because we're, we're masochists, we decided to start a podcast. Yeah, why not? Exactly. Exactly. Well, I consider this a hobby. And also, I literally just put this on the extracurricular section of my postdoc application. Hey. Oh, I make so it this part is of why. my scientific <laughs> outreach program. <laughs> so, oh. Well, this better hello. Be, we better be good then. <laughs> yeah. if, if you are a person who is hazing me for a, po a postdoc position, um, hi. <laughs> I promised that I would be good in your lab. I'm fun, at least. <laughs> I, hope. I hope. Anyway, we'll, put we'll your, move uh, on yeah. to the next yeah. segment. <laughs> okay. We have to move on because it's already been, I don't know, 17 minutes and we're too far. We're too... Come on. All right. All right so all the right. next segment, the next segment. You ready for it? This segment is no. called... No. No. Breaking newts. <laughs> It's so good. <laughs> Everything has to have puns. Where, otherwise, where, where. it's not real. So in this segment of the podcast, in the future, um, the idea is to talk about all of the, the biggest news that has happened in the last, um, well, since the last episode, which we hope to release monthly. That's at least what we've been talking about, right? Uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but now, seeing as this is the first episode... And there is no previous episode. We figured we would very briefly, and I mean very briefly, <laughs> cover all of herpetological history ever. <laughs> so right. think you have, back you have 30 seconds. to the dawn of yeah. mankind. <laughs> there you go, Mark. Go, <laughs> go, go. Since the dawn of mankind, not that much has changed. Uh, we start off with Carl Linnaeus, who gave names to lots of things, but didn't really study them in that much detail, especially because he basically plagiarized most of the other people because, you know, some people had already sort of created names for things. But he made, like, a nice, stable system, which made him quite good. And then, I mean, fast forward to Cope, who was doing things at the end of the 19th century. He had some really weird ideas about biogeography, but sort of had great ideas about how dinosaurs work and how species form and you know, Cope was a pretty big deal. He also did the first things with hemipenes, which were, I mean, that was a really, really big thing. So Cope basically said that all of hemipenes of all snakes are the only way that you can tell which family a snake belongs to. And for the most part, now with genetic, genetic uh, results, he was right. So Cope was a big deal. And then Boulanger came along. That was at the end of the 19th century as well. And he made a catalog of all of the snakes that were in the British Museum of Natural History. And that Lizards. is... And, and the lizards and described lots and lots and lots and lots of species and I was just talking today about how basically because of colonialism uh, rather a lot of the world's type material 
is in the British Museum of Natural History, or Natural History Museum, as it's now known. Um, and that is largely thanks to Boulanger and the people who followed him. And uh, one of the people who followed him, I believe, at the um, Natural History Museum in London was Parker, who wrote the big monograph of microhylids, which is, of course, the most important uh, piece of information that is in this entire series. <laughs> and then we have, uh, fast forward a little bit, at least in Frogs, the big, big, big book that you need to own if you want to do anything with frogs is Duhlman and Troop's Biology of the Amphibia, or Amphibians, which was released in the 1970s, I think, uh, and is still the standard reference text. And then along came in the 1990s, I think, Eastman and Laird. And, well, uh, 80s, believe, 80s, really. In the 80s, uh, in the 80s. Now, Eastman and Laird, they reported on fascinating anthropomorphic <laughs> Chelonians <laughs> that were fighting crime and living in sewers and somehow had a rat overlord. It's all a bit of a blur. Uh, but they became known as the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And that's it. That's all of history. Now you're caught up. You're caught up. Hello and welcome to today. You're all the 19th of now. June. Exactly. Yeah. You've been deputized. Well You've got <laughs> condensed um, uh, course on herpetology right there. I think that a lot of people would now be, will now be like, excuse you, you missed out on all of these people. But I would have you know, I've literally never read a herpetology textbook. So, <laughs> And I will add that Mark eagerly awaits your emails. Exactly. <laughs> Please tell me if you think that there was a really, really, really major advance in herpetology that I have missed out, like, I don't know, Harry Green or something maybe the recent works of Pyron et al. Uh, let us know. You can send us a, mar a, 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 a carrier pigeon. <laughs> and if you just whisper to it, Squamates Podcast, <laughs> it'll find us. It'll be great. <laughs> oh, <Okay>. God. <laughs> so that's, that's history. Um, that's everything that you need to know. That from was the, very good. The last that, was, that was excellent. Yes. I am glad. I'm glad that you liked it. I hope that other people who are listening who were are perhaps still not prepared. <laughs> I hope that you're still listening. It's so nice of you if you're still listening. Oh, so sweet. Okay, enough of that. Let's move on to the next segment, shall we? Yes. Right. The next segment is not a is terrible pun. It's not a terrible pun. The next segment is, is called Hashtag Herpers. And I mean, it's a pun, but it's not a terrible pun. So That could have something um, to do with the fact that we didn't come up with it. That's true. It's possible. Very likely. So for the <laughs> listeners who are not on Twitter, a hashtag is what happens when you put a pound symbol in front no, of... No, come on. <laughs> <laughs> when a hash and a tag love each other very much. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no. Um, so for those of you who are not on Twitter, basically what happened is that uh, people, uh, a group of women, started um, tweeting with the, hashtag, with the hashtag herpers, with her spelled in capital letters, um, and it became known to the wider audience on Twitter that there are hundreds upon hundreds of women on Twitter who are herpetologists or herp enthusiasts, and it's like the best thing. And we it's super amazing. Be being three dudes. Decided, we being three men, yes. Yeah, decided that this was important. 
this we is need, an important thing. We need to talk about um, this. Herpetology is a deeply, deeply long-historied sexist field, um, both in terms of discouraging women from doing field work and things, and discouraging them in general from going into the field, uh, deeply socialized issues in school, etc. Um, but just in general, there are uh, uh, there is a dramatic skew towards men in herpetology, and we want to promote women in herpetology. And so this segment is where we're going to focus on um, really significant female herpetologists who've made major contributions contributions, sorry, um, to the field of herpetology and who are continuing to make uh, major contributions. So we're not just going into the history, but we're also going to look later on at um, major female um, uh, herpetologists today. And actually, when we came up with this um, um, segment, I was thinking that some of the uh, herpetologists that I admire the most are women. So that's actually really good. Uh, and I, I mean, I do, uh, I didn't mention this before, but my comic strip is about a woman herpetologist and I wrote that based on people that I actually know yes excellent yes and I have also several female colleagues who are uh, highly esteemed and really excellent researchers so we are definitely uh, trying to promote this as much as possible while also being uh, three men on a podcast <laughs> now <laughs> Sorry. So the subject, Sorry, everybody. The, we, we apologize <laughs> for that. It's just how this happened. Now, we are thinking about bringing on guest hosts who are uh, female uh, herpetologists as well and all kinds of other things to be more inclusive. Um, but at the moment, this is how it's going. So, again, sorry about that. But to make it up to you, I want to tell you about Linda Troop. So, uh, Linda Troop, who I just mentioned before... Um, co-wrote the book Biology of Amphibians with Bill Doolman. Um, that is not her most significant contribution. So the story of Linda Troop is quite a, a long one and uh, in parts it's quite amusing because for example she snuck onto a program in I think it was in California by pretending to live in California Anyway, she eventually wound up in Kansas, and um, her contributions to herpetology are manifold and significant. So she started off working on pipids, and this was a really, really big thing. So pipids are a group of frogs that we won't go into in too much detail right now, but they have very weird skeletons and especially skulls. I like to call them baby back nightmare frogs. Yes, baby back nightmare frogs is quite an apt name, actually. Um, more on that later. <laughs> yes, sorry. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so Linda sort of. Uh, can I can well, I just can I just I mention that Dr. this is our Drew. second pass at this? Can I can <laughs> yes. I break the fourth wall there and just? This you know, is, <laughs> dear listener at home, you are now listening to the second edition of this. Recording. Well, no, we tried. And Don't show how the sausage is made. <laughs> oh, okay. We have to show how the sausage is made because we must clarify that we spent over 15 minutes talking about what a pipid frog is <laughs> in the original round. 
<laughs> and we have decided to cut it short here so yes. that we may delve into it but later we want you and to in know future that episodes. Our, we did our due diligence and discussed <laughs> Pippet Frogs for way longer. We will discuss Pippet Frogs later, though. We, we will. will. We'll, we'll will. come back to them. Bear with. But right now, we're trying to talk about uh, Linda Troop, who is one of the greatest. So, um, from her work on on the osteology of pipid frogs, initially she went much more into developmental um, osteological uh, work. Later on, she wrote the uh, ontogeny of the skull of Smiliska, I think is the genus. Smilica, mm-hmm. yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Smilica. Um, anyway, that is one of the two standard. In fact, she wrote both of the two standard texts for anyone working on the skulls of uh, of frogs today. So, in every one of my osteological papers, I am citing her works as the works where wherein all of the terminology can be found. Um, she also had quite a few funny, or has quite a few funny idiosyncrasies. For example, uh, an absolute obsession with correct and proper grammar. And she's apparently extremely strict about this. So all of the biographical pieces that I've found that talk about her and her teaching style are all like her quoting from this one reference book on how to write proper good Englishness. And <laughs> so... <Ooh. laughs> It's, it's quite. It's. It, 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 I think it speaks a lot about how she is as a person. So I had the the great pleasure of meeting her when I was in Kansas in 2015 for the SSAR meeting there, the, the Society for the Study of Amphibi- Amphibians and Reptiles, and we sat down with her and talked with her about our microhylid stuff, and she was so patient and so interested, but also so sharp. You know, she'd like. She looked at the stuff. She was like, "Ah, oh, yes, this is good. We can do really cool stuff with this." And of course, in the in the interim, we haven't done anything with it. But we're working on it. <laughs> well That's done. one of the well two done. big papers that I'm working on right now. Um, you said you have uh, some of her artwork too, right? Yes, I have loads of her artwork. So this is the other thing about her. The first um, funny thing is the, the the being so strict about the grammar. The other thing is that she is an incredibly talented artist. Yes. Yes. Absolutely, and Gabriel can weigh in much more on this than I can because I sort of am. Yeah, she is a, she's really an amazing artist. She's done some beautiful illustration, mostly of, of um, highlight frogs, but she's done some really amazing um, illustrations that have appeared in many publications, and um, and she's done many many plates of f- showing uh, the coloration in, uh, of frogs alive, and uh, showing all this pattern and and um, colors that frogs have in concealed surfaces of their thighs and flanks. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really beautiful illustrations. She's actually one of the artists that have inspired me to be a scientific illustrator because her work is, I mean, sublime, really, really amazing. Have you done detailed studies of her work, like trying to emulate her style? Because I would see, like just looking, I, I, I really have several of her illustrations hanging up in my apartment. Um, and... I would see some similarities between the sort of style that you're using. Well, and, she's a she's a watercolor artist, and that's how I started. So I guess mm. even now that I work uh, in uh, digital media, I still use I still have a a watercolor um, school, you know. So that's yeah. 
Did you yeah. follow? I, I mean, approach she it. also is is entirely doing all of her art today on a Cintiq. Yeah. So, I, so I, I get the sense that a lot of watercolor artists transition really well to digital because mm. of the whole thinking yes. of layers. Yes. Would you agree with that? Because that's what I. I totally of. agree with it. Yeah. I totally agree with it, and 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 it it feels very um, uh, native to when you when you're using a Cintiq uh, and you're working in layers in Photoshop. Let's say. Um, it feels very, very familiar yeah. for uh, an yeah. artist that is uh, yeah. a watercolor artist. So she's amazing. She's if you haven't seen her illustrations, you really Google it, search Google for it. it, go go, it right go get her, go get the yes, books. Please. Where you can put us yeah. on pause. It's fine. Go Google <laughs> it, her artwork. They it's are amazing. beautiful. Yeah. Troop is spelled T R U E B, for the listener at home. Um, it's really, it's really spectacular. Her, her artwork is gorgeous. And this is the other thing. So she actually has taught uh, scientific illustration classes for this in particular, and also especially for osteological illustrations, because getting that right is so, so hard. Yeah. Um, and if you can do it well, you can convey much more information than you can see from a photograph. And if because not, you could become a cartoonist. Yeah. <laughs> but also, I mean, she does uh, really good skeletal drawings, but also um, line drawings. Like, you know, when you have to show a holotype right. and you have to show, yeah. like, the side of the head or the top of the head of the specimen. Exactly. She does really amazing work with that, yeah. which has also been very inspiring to me because when I've, I've done drawings of holotypes and stuff, I she's been one of the people that I've emulated. So... It's, she's really good. She's really yeah, amazing. Exactly. I mean, you guys do much more. So the only things that I've done in that sort of um, vein were my illustrations for the Gekolipus Megalipus uh, paper, where we, I basically took a photograph and I just traced all of the scales for the thing because it was, you know, it was relatively easy, and they're huge scales because megalipus, you know. Yeah, that's not so, that's not so bad. Yeah, <laughs> that's not so bad as like trillions that, of I the tiny I showed you. I had scales. to draw your megalipus. Yes, I know. <laughs> for I the know. book. Spoilers. <gasps> yeah, spoilers. Yeah. 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 I broke great. the embargo. Yeah. <laughs> so the other thing that um, that Linda Troop did was supervise lots and lots and lots of students. And many of those students are still making big waves today in terms of osteology, in terms of other contributions. So people might be familiar um, with uh, can, can Juan I, can I Goya stop? Samin. Uh, I was going to say, can, you, can we just um, real quick mention to our non-scientist viewers, listeners, uh, what osteology is? Oh, yes. Osteology are bones and shit. Yeah. We good? There we go. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Thank you. Very, yes. Yeah, so osteology are just, it's just basically drawing bones, understanding, studying bones. Osteology is just means of bones. The study of bones, yeah. 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 So um, I was just saying that uh, Linda uh, uh, supervised quite a lot of students. And among those students were such names as uh, Juan Guyasamin, who people might know for his incredible work on glass frogs. Gua Guayasamin. Guayasamin, <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> oh, and I know him as well. He'll be, oh, it's awful. 
I apologize. No, that's, that's he's true. awesome. He's an awesome person. He's such a great person. I keep talking to him about wanting to work on the the. Um, I even have a bo uh, an email in my inbox from him about working on uh, on the osteology of of glass frogs again. And I just I don't have time. There are not <laughs> enough hours in the day. Anyway, but he's super super cool. Um, but also people like Raphael de Sa and many 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 female researchers not, as not well. Not a ninja turtle. Not a ninja. No, Raphael is not a ninja turtle in this particular instance. No. <laughs> I mean, he is, so, there is there is a Raphael, but that's there not is him. A, a Raphael. Yeah. Moving along. So um, <laughs> yes, she is nearing, I guess, the end of her career, heading into retirement. Also because um, Bill Dulman, her husband, that the two of them are, um, I guess, looking to retire together. Um, so I guess her stint at the uh, at, in Kansas is about to end, but that by no means means that she will be uh, either stepping out of research. I imagine because a lot of the people who do this stuff uh, for so long do it because they really love it, and you cannot convince them to stop even when it's really detrimental for their health. It becomes a compulsion. Exactly, yes, yes, and uh, even were she to stop, her influence would be felt for an extremely long time. So, uh, just a, an absolutely magnificent, a magnificent person, and I, I really wanted to focus on her as the very first of the, um, of the Herpers, who we focus on because uh, of of the role that she. I mean, her book is the most commonly most is the book from my shelf which is most commonly pulled out to my desk if I need to look anything up, um, even though I have a PDF of it. Well, Because the, you know, the, the biology of amphibians is such an important reference text. So if you're interested true. in frogs and you're not yet in academia slash studying herpetology, go get the book. Okay, now we should move into a segment well, wait, wait, can we just say, recording we, we, again. Linda Troob, we salute you, or something. Yes. yes. You know. Yes, we absolutely do. Such a, an influential and important person in yes. herpetology, and thank, especially yes. in recent herpetology. And I, and I being a, being a non-academic, I, I have learned something, so thank you. Excellent. Now... Uh, I'm glad that we've learned one thing. It's time to learn more. Yay! So it's time to move on to the topic for the day. So every episode we're going to have like a main topic of discussion, uh, which is similar to some other podcasts with which you may be familiar. Um, <laughs> and we are not ripping off. <laughs> we promise that not we are... purpose. <laughs> it's fair use, I believe. It's fair use of the format because they've not actually copyrighted the format. So, <laughs> <laughs> so in this first episode, we thought that we would uh, explain what exactly a herp is because you're listening to us rattle on about reptiles and amphibians sort of indiscriminately. And uh, it's quite important that you know what the difference is between a herp and a derp, for example... A oh. bird. Oh, right. So, exactly. uh, Gabriel has prepared a whole thing. <laughs> well, don't sell it. Don't sell it that that much. 
But I, I just want to say that, you know, herpetology is a study of amphibians or reptiles. But, um, and a lot of people think that that means that those two groups are related, but that's actually not the case. Um, amphibians and reptiles are not closely related. And the reason, um, actually, you did talk about this recently, Mark, about the reason why both groups were lumped together. Yes, exactly. Does so the derivation to, of the word. The word, right? To creep, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. So it's Greek for to creep uh, or, or creeping. So which, it which refers to the animals that creep, incidentally but not is, the creepy crawlies. Why, where we get the word herpes from as well. Same root correct yes, yes. Yeah, exactly yeah. yes yes regrettably <laughs> <laughs> so why are they not closely together related um, and it's because um, well I'm gonna go all the way back to the Devonian period <laughs> yeah, exactly let's all travel back to the Devonian period it's um, your kids Marty <laughs> <gasps> there's not enough air <gasps> <laughs> Wait, no, Devonian. Uh, there's the more opposite. air. There's, there's too much there's air. more oxygen. oxygen. <laughs> but I so we should yeah, all I, be like, we should all be stoned. There's too much air. Yes. <laughs> and there are giant oh, insects flying around. Dragonfly? Yes. Yeah. And giant cockroaches. Dragonfly in the sky. Okay, all right, all right. Okay. Right. <laughs> so about that time, 400 million, more than 400 million years ago, 400, 400 million years ago, a group of bony fishes uh, where that you know are now scientists call them tetrapodomorphs. They're not exactly tetrapods yet, but they're tetrapodomorphs. They're getting Lo there. These would be the lo lobe fin. <laughs> they are the the shape of, but not exactly tetrapods. Exactly. exactly. The, the lobe this, fin. So fish. This, this exactly. They have lobe fins. They were capable. They have protolungs, so they were capable to breathe air. Exactly. And, and they have and very they form very important, very close social bonds. It's great. And they said to each other, I love you. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> so these things forage in um, shallow water and they were, you know, they probably probably uh, they forage on vegetated, heavily vegetated shallow water. So they use this fin because they were totally aquatic. But they use this fin to maneuver, you know, around this vegetation. Now, exactly. Gabriel, are and, there and are there any such creatures still alive? No, no. Actually, none of these creatures survived past the Permian period. Okay. Actually, I don't think they, I don't think they even made it into the Carboniferous. I, I, they were, you know, they survived only for a period of time. But but I um, should but we should be imagining something along the lines of a of a lungfish. Well, it, that's what I was going to say. They, this group of fish is actually the sister clade, or they're closely related to lungfish, to okay. modern-day lungfish. And um, they share a common ancestor. And um, so, you know, these things were aquatic, but were dealing with this uh, heavily vegetated environment where they needed these robust limbs and the capacity to breathe air because they were probably hunting at least part-time part on land. Or maybe so eventually could they maybe have been like snatching stuff off the off the shore there? Yeah, exactly. We, we know that a lot of happening. like a lot of fish that that are able to do that. That's what they do, right? Even though these were more adapted to do that, probably. 
yeah. than, than fish today that are able to. You mean you mean like mud skippers and stuff like that? No, I was thinking. Well, yeah, but I was and thinking. And like sharks. We, <laughs> no. <laughs> I a shark sees a sees a, a penguin or something on a beach. It'll beach itself. I was thinking along the lines of that footage from I think it was from Planet Earth Two, where they have the catfish, those yeah, introduced yeah. catfish that learned to eat pigeons. Oh by, yeah! By, oh yeah! Oh, sure. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> if you haven't seen a catfish so, eating a pigeon, I don't. You haven't lived. So good. <laughs> I love it when when. I mean, it sounds awful. I shouldn't really say it, but I do like it when when animals eat pigeons. It's quite funny, what? and when it's pelicans, it's especially funny. <laughs> Sorry, that in, is so weird. Mark. In London, in Lo- in the hey. middle of London, in hey. Hyde Park, there Bro. are semi wild feral pelicans, and they eat the pigeons. It's great. We have uh, in our neck of the woods, we have um, a family, you know, families of peregrine falcons, and they. They take out pigeons pretty regularly. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I, I get peregrine falcons here every winter, and they finish with all, all the Eurasian doves, doves that we have around. Yeah. Which is good, because they, they are really annoying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. Good digression. Now, back all right. to yes. our Back to the fins. Devonian. Yes, back to the Devonian. So, eventually, one, of, one group of these fish ev- uh, evolved into... Um, um, Stegocephalians, which were which were, um, you know, animals like um, tiktalic. I was going to say, was that, that a tic- like the tiktalic? Yeah, yes. That tiktalic is an early stegocephalian. It's they not were, a type of mint that you take when your breath is bad. <laughs> Mark, what's wrong? With <laughs> no, it's not. It's actually it's actually a a, a fishapod. It's not. Not a, a fish. A that's, yeah, that's uh, actually the informal that's what the, name. That's what Neil Shubin calls them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually the informal name for it. I've never heard this in my life. Yeah. Well, and I guess we passed up a, a pretty good podcast yeah. name there, too. Fish, fish <laughs> Oh, that's good. So right. later, so later, um, later examples of stegocephalians involve animals like Ixtiostega, which a lot of people know about it's a Good famous name. famous famous fossil they start and getting they bit, start getting necks like they get like you know yeah and they also started getting fingers Ixtioctega yeah. had fingers but he had they had animals like Ixtioctega and Acanthostega had um you know up to eight fingers and eight toes yeah so they already had fingers they they didn't have they had you know four limbs with fingers but they had m- many more fingers than and toes and, and it just and that's just an finger. accident of evolution right like it just that the the five-fingered individual or the five-fingered population was the one that won out yeah exactly if, had, if it had gone a little differently we could have had eight digits <laughs> we would be very good piano players <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um a lot of these but even animals like east Yoxiga and uh, were aquatic they still were not um you know, they were primarily aquatic or semi-aquatic at the most. They were not um, terrestrial. So eventually, a group of these animals, by the, at the earliest Carboniferous, the earliest part of the Carboniferous, um, eventually became the first tetrapods. And among those groups of the first tetrapods uh, are two, it branched out into basically two groups of, although I must insert a caveat here that the 
this part uh, it's really a little bit of a, because it's a little bit of a gray area right now. Yeah, it's really uh, uh, it's really complicated because there are a lot of uh, paleontologists doing a lot of research, and a lot of that is going to likely change, and we're going to see a lot of change on the groupings of these early tetrapods and how they're related to each other. So, but basically, what we know now is that there were basically uh, two groups. One of them were the temnospondyls. And the other were um, the reptiliomorphs. Um, Temnospondyls are basically what would lead into today's amphibians. Otherwise known as lissa amphibians, right? Otherwise known as lissa amphibians. And actually, well, this is going to sound very complicated, but most temnospondyls are now lissa amphibians. Even though lissa amphibians are temnospondyls. It's because of Sicilians, though, right? Well, yes, but it's, it's basically because in the in the uh, papers by Jason Pardo, who has done a lot of shout out, shout out, he's on yeah, Twitter. Shout out, yes, uh, and he's. I really believe awesome. it's at Jason Pardo, no? J J Pardo J Pardo He's really awesome, and he's doing a lot of, and that's he's one of those people that are doing a lot of research on this, and he's going to change a lot of how this early group of tetrapods are. Oh, but to isn't other. he on it as, at incisorial? Oh yes, true. He may have it's changed. Yeah. It up. yeah. Well, we're he, I all know. wrong. Yeah, we're all wrong. <laughs> I know true. he was trying to. T- I, he, at one point, he was trying to convince me to try to breed my. I have a lungfish, and uh, they don't cohabitate well with other lungfish. So, I told him it's not likely to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. All right. So, um, of, like I said, uh, tenospondyls gave rise to uh, today's amphibians, and today's amphibians are in three main groups, which are frogs, which are anurans, caudata, which is uh, salamanders, and gymnophiona, which is Sicilians. Uh, for a long time, Sicilians were considered to be, or I, many people actually still consider them to be closely related to salamanders and uh, frogs, but scientists like uh, Jason Pardo have started to show that uh, Sicilians might be actually not closely related at all to frogs and actually belong to a completely different branch of the Temnospondyl uh, tree. So, um, but since we're dealing most, this podcast is going to be dealing mostly with extent reptiles and amphibians, I'm going to concentrate to talk about, I'm going to start talking about mostly about the uh, species that are, the the groups that are alive today. So I think the most basal one, or the one that is, the the one that first appeared, or people think that one that first appeared, are uh, frogs and anurans. And today, anurans are the most diverse group so wait, 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 back up, because I, I thought that anurans were the most derived, but you're no. saying they're the most basal. Well, the the latest uh, trees show them as the most from that group. I mean, oh, okay. Sicilians. So within yeah. the clade, yeah, of, of uh, what did we say, hmm. Temnospondyls? Yeah. Okay. You That's... can say least amphibians because they're also least amphibians. Okay. Yeah, you're confusing me now, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because... Uh, so this is what happens. A lot of them respond... I'm going to explain it really 
really fast. Okay. A lot of taxa that are timnus bundles um, are actually found outside of the clade that would be Lys amphibians. But a lot of taxa that have also been classified as timnus bundles are found within the clade that is Lys amphibia. So Lys amphibia now goes back to a lot, includes a lot of timnus bundles, but not all, which is why they're, 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 it's like a subgroup of timnus bundles. Does that make right. sense? Yes, okay. All right, and within that subgroup, uh, what happened is that the, the node that we call the amphibians now is way back, and it includes a bunch of temnus bundles as well. So it goes further yeah. back than we thought. About a lot back, yes. Okay. And, it's interesting. And, so I don't know. Are you guys familiar with the Isari, Irisari at all paper from 2017, last mm. year? Is that the one about no. where Sicilians were... Uh, no, it's called the Phylotranscriptomic Consolidation of the Jawed Vertebrate Time Tree. No. No, I'm not familiar with that one. So in this thing, they've taken transcriptomes. I only know about it because my supervisor is on it. Um, they, they took transcriptomes from all of, well, from most of the major clades of jawed vertebrates and reconstructed a dated time tree. Um, this was published in Nature Ecology and Evolution and you will certainly be able to find a PDF of it online if you're looking for it. Um, but we can also put a link to it in the show notes because we're doing a thing with show notes. <laughs> How exciting. And in this thing, they find Gymnophiona to be the most basically split group of the Lys amphibians. So that's what I thought. But yeah. they are still considered part of the Lys amphibians as a group with... Yeah, because yes. if you put, if you consider Gymnophiona to be part of Lys amphibians together with um, Caudata and Anura, they do usually appear as the most basal group. Okay. However, right. that is not the case when you, I mean, if you... It clusters, here, it clusters differently if you don't yes. assume... Okay. Yeah, I got it. Okay. Even well, though I, the even yeah. though Gymnophiona as the name of the clade now will now would probably include a bunch of other taxa too. So um, I am just realizing how difficult it is to explain this. Um, it is extremely difficult. Yes, it's extremely it's, difficult. And we haven't Especially, even gotten into the jokes about birds being reptiles. Oh no, <laughs> but that but that's actually easier because I think that the the reptile tree is a little bit better understood than the one of amphibians. Um, this is true. But anyway, this Irisari paper has at least sheds, from my view, pretty interesting light on what the relationships are between these groups and their relative timing of divergence. But at the moment, as far as I can tell, the jury is still very out as to which is the most basally diverged group of extant Lysamphibians. And if the jury is even still out if Sicilians are in the same group as um frogs and yeah, no, right. yeah well the jury the jury's still out if if Lys amphibians is is an actual group i mean and i mean extant amphibians form and uh, frogs uh, salamanders yeah. and and sicilians are actually closely related or not the jury's still out i mean so there, i so just there's think a that the paper that they're paraf paraphyletic there is a possibility that Jason Pardo is wrong <laughs> and that all that he wrote is wrong. But I, I, I've read his papers and I, I, I really like the, you know, his methodology and what he's written. Mm. I tend to agree with him a lot. So that's why I 
brought it up. But anyway, this is very complicated and it's not what we're going to concentrate in this podcast. We're going to concentrate on, on extent um, groups. So exactly. let's start talking about frogs, which are, I think, Mark's uh, main love or one of your main loves, right? One the of my main loves. The best amphibians, according to Mark. Frogs are... <laughs> Uh, I mean, easily the best amphibians. You see, because the other groups Dems of amphibians, words. the other yeah. groups of amphibians are not on Madagascar and are therefore by default uninteresting. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think actually salamanders are absolutely fascinating. I've never seen a Sicilian in real life, so I don't really have something to say about them. I, but I've most people haven't. Yeah, I've seen them in real life, but in in kind of a sad, you know, context. Which was, I saw yeah. some. You know what I'm going to say. I saw some for sale at a at a reptile show. Yeah, and it happens every terrible. now and then. I've never had. Uh, but which one? They had to be the common ones, like Tiflonectus and stuff like that. Right? Uh, we we used to get Tiflonectus all the time when I worked at an aquarium shop. Nowadays they're very hard to find. We they used to call them yeah. rubber eels, and you could get them yeah uh, cheaply. You know they were everywhere. Bizarre. But no, the ones that I saw more recently were her. Uh, is it herpelles? I can't remember the name of them. They're an, they're what, an Af- we, they're an African one. Oh, I'm not familiar. I'm not current with the African names. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'm probably getting it wrong. I also but. don't know anything about these. It's. I think I, they're from the Cameroon. Yeah. Uh, Cameroon Sicilians. So. Anyway. Well, if you want, we can start talking about Sicilians. Um, <laughs> I'm. I'm just gonna say that there are ten families of Sicilians. Sicilians are actually a small yeah. group. Let's get them know. out of the way because we could knock that out quickly. Yeah. Yeah, and they're they're, they're actually a, they don't have there are not that many species that we know of. Even though um, a lot of Sicilians are known from. <laughs> Are known from one or two specimens the most. Yeah, uh, they are very, very, very rare, exceedingly rare. Extremely secretive. So yes. there may be many more of them that we aren't aware of, right? For sure. And yeah. actually, um, the taxonomy of Sicilians is a mess. There, <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot of um, species that are lumped together when they shouldn't be. Um, at least in the Neotropics, I know this from you know experience. It's it, What's the, there do, is. Do we know the range? I know that there are African. Uh, they have a Gondwanan distribution. They do. Yeah, so they're found in mainland Asia, Africa, and South America, and we explain this with a Gondwana because. Okay, so but, and that, isn't that, that would, would you would think that would sort of support the idea that they're not uh, that they don't have a commonality with Caudata then, right? Well, but if if you believe that they are more ba- like they're even more basal than Caldata and Anura, then there's no problem with that. Oh yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, exactly. And and anyway, like the the situation with salamanders is very weird. <laughs> I think uh, that's a theme here. We can we can get to the salamanders later, but yeah. the um, no, I there just are several the, the groups of amphibians of this that stuff is match. All, they're all kind of messed up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, but Sicilians in particular, because they are so rare, there are so very few specimens of each species known, uh, that 
by itself creates a problem, taxonomic problem, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah. it's difficult to compare specimens. A lot of the times, the museums that house the specimens are difficult to access, or, uh, you know, so it's, it's pretty messy. And, um, and you know, the, a lot of herpetologists that are on the field have never seen a Sicilian in their life. You know, a lot because yeah. they're rare. Absolutely. They're rare. They're yeah, my my colleague uh, Michael Franzen has been working in uh, in Costa Rica for a super long time and other parts of South America, South America, and he has never seen yeah. a Sicilian alive, or I think very, very, very seldom. He's he he told me about this recently, but I seem to have forgotten the story. <laughs> but yeah, so Sicilians are a nightmare. Um, also, I mean, this is sort of a trend. We'll get to this with reptiles as well. So the Sicilians are have they suffer from the same problem of, as everything that lives sort of worm-like underground, is that they're immensely difficult to study. So, yes, and I must say that not all Sicilians are fossorial or live underground. There are actually families like Teflonectidae, which are aquatic, and that's the one that right. uh, Ethan was talking about. That they're called rubber eel. They live in and that's actually the most common, uh, at least in South America, that's most like the well most known, commonly yeah. found. Yeah, that's what the most commonly found. Uh, there are genus like Typhlonectus or Potomotiflus. Those are, um, uh, actually the Miami Zoo has a Potomotiflus, um, which, which you can never see because it's always hiding behind a rock in the, in the aquarium that they have. But, um, but it's, I found it, it's the first one that I've ever seen. Mm. I would imagine it would be tough to put those on display. Like, you know, here's our Sicilian, and then it's just never there. You yeah. Could, it could yeah. just be an empty tank, and no one would know. There's so many of those. So many <laughs> yes. of those. Anyway, exactly. let's move on from Sicilian, shall we? Yes. Yes. Right. So now, an uh, aneurins, right? Now we can go to salamanders. And so, salamanders, salamanders, um, they, uh, they diversified in the Jurassic mostly. And, um, and one of the first groups of salamanders that appear are cryptobranchoids, which includes, you Andreas. know, the hellbender, yeah, Andreas, and, and, uh, and the Chinese giant salamander. My favorite. Uh, probably have my you favorite ever, salamander. Have you ever seen one in person? I've never seen one in person. I have, I have. not seen a, I've seen hellbenders in person many times, but I've never I've seen, seen hellbenders. Oh, uh, there are a few giant, Chinese giant salamanders in, um, in Germany in various zoos and things. There's one. They are there's very one impressive. Uh, what is it? I think it's in, I want to say there was one individual in Denmark who owns one. Mm. Because they had it prior to all of the red tape. Yeah, I think there's one in Berlin Zoo, and there's certainly one in the aquarium in Vienna. There was, there's one in Chicago. Mm. Uh, it's a Japanese. Really? It's understand. a Japanese, not a Chinese. No. Oh, I. Oh, yes. This is an important point. I don't actually know if these are Japanese or Chinese. I think they're Chinese. Chinese well, apparently, sure. <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, we should explain why it doesn't matter, so it doesn't sound a bad. Yeah, there's a recent paper that says that uh, Andreas Davidianus, the Chinese giant, is potentially five species, not one. Yes. And Mark doesn't mm -hmm. agree with that. 
I'm skeptical about the results, but only because I have not read it in immense detail, so I can't really be too judgmental. But it seemed like they hadn't really. Um, I'm actually uh, from well, from flying 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 through it. I was not convinced. Well, actually, one of the things of that paper that mentioned that it had be, there have been a lot of hybridization with between the two, right? Japonicus yes. and Davidianus. It's well known that they they hybridize, right? But the and then you were finding that, all of this gene flow in anything that was intermediate between any of the different species. I'm doing I'm doing air quotes <laughs> species that they found, um, and you know if you if it's then intermediate and there's all this gene flow. Then have you have you seen what any is the species the, anyway? Uh, but, yeah. yeah. Have you seen any of the <laughs> pictures of of uh, like the Chinese farms where they uh, where they farm them to eat? I think. Oh God. No, I haven't. But yeah. that sounds horrific. If you, if you, uh, well, they're like these giant uh, concrete, you know, bin. Uh, I've been know. to a crocodile farm. Yeah. Well, same idea. Mm. And I mean, it's 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 really something because, you know, that that same study talked about how they're basically near extinct in the wild, but there's these like farm operations that are just breeding them for food because <laughs> apparently they're, yeah. they're eaten yeah, yeah. i so, have a uh, i have well, a replica i'm actually sitting right next to my i have a replica andreas davidianus uh skull from bone clones right here oh cool <laughs> wait i mean we have a specimen and a cast in the museum so i get to show it to people because i'm always like this is the coolest specimen we've got <laughs> it's a really big one they People also, and they can get really large. They can it's get one of those, really, really large. It's yeah, absolutely. It's one of those animals that most people aren't really familiar with, and if you show them, you know, pictures of people holding a full-grown one, they're like, "Oh, it yeah. is the largest." It is the largest salamander, and I'm not sure if it's the largest amphibian. I mean, if it's the longest amphibian, but it's definitely the largest. Oh, I gotta think right? it's gotta be the largest. It amphibian. must be the longest amphibian. I don't know if it's the longest because I know there are some Sicilians that are pretty long. But um, well, yeah, right. And I well, even like sirens, uh, greater. I was sirens. gonna say, yeah, sirens yeah, can and amphibians, right? Yeah, yeah, they can get. And talking about before, but, I keep talking about the cryptobranchoids or the cryptobranchids in this case. For the, uh, I, I must say that um, even though we don't have, I don't think we have fossils of crypto of um, anything older than a cryptobranchoid or a salamandroid uh, from the Jurassic. Those are the first salamander fossils. Yeah. Well, oh, really? this is also another. This is another issue because some other people say that the other genus, other genera, are um, also salamanders. But I'm not going to get into that. But uh, uh, actually, like what, molecular like scelidosaurs uh, or something. No, no, there's something called carorus or something like that is supposed to also be a salamander. But oh, because I have a few. I have a few of those. I like have a fossil or two of one of those. Somewhere. No, the, there are there are a pair of genus called Cararus and Cocartus, oh. which were supposed to be also be salamanders. But these also the paper from Jason Pardo, the, from oh. Jason Pardo found them outside of the of the clay. <laughs> but I'm not gonna get into that. All right, all right. But what I'm gonna say, what I'm gonna say is that a molecular uh, phylogenies find that uh, sirens, which in the, are in the family Sirenidae, are actually more basal than are the most basal basically salamanders alive today so that's actually a very interesting group and i think uh, ethan likes uh, sirens a lot i do they're very weird though like they like we don't know much about 
how they breed. Apparently, they have uh, uh, internal fertilization. Mm, weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. I don't. I don't know a ton about it, but I know a couple people who are who are looking who are studying that. Like we don't know. Uh, well, describe them a little bit because they look like eels and they have. So sirens look like well, it's a very large. You know, we talk about how hellbenders are supposedly the largest salamander in North America, but really, si- greater sirens are the longest by quite a bit. They're much longer than hellbenders, um, and they must be heavier as well. I mean, much longer. Than I don't know if they're heavy, but they're definitely longer, and they're. I mean, picture basically, yeah, it's an eel-like animal, about the thickness of of. A human arm <laughs> and they can be several feet long and they have the bushy gills like an axolotl and they have front uh, forelimbs but they have no hind limbs at all yeah mm-hmm. very very and, and weird I, and I'm told by those that who, who keep them that they have uh, they and amphiumas have a hell of a bite too and, and they will oh, say that amphiumas are not closely related to sirens at all but weirdly convergent, convergent right? Convergent yeah. evolution. Though they don't have the external gills, but they have the reduced limbs for sure. Yes. And and um, sirens are found mostly in the southeastern part of the United States, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, sirens, uh, you've got the, the greater and the lesser, and they're pretty similar, and they have pretty, I think, overlapping ranges. And then you have... Um, the yeah, there are four species, I think. Yeah, there's dwarf uh, pseudobranchus. Yeah, we have them here in Florida. We have the three. We have three species here in Florida. Or four, yeah. I'm not sure how many species. And I think they extend to the northeasternmost tip of Mexico too. So that's and they're, oh, and they're, and they're sexually dimorphic too. Is another. Oh really? Thing. Yeah, the males have this like weird, bumpy forehead, that the females mm. don't have. Hmm. Cool. Okay, guys, right. we have to move on. Yes. <laughs> All right. Moving along. So then we get to the salamandroids, uh, which are basically the, the true salamanders, the European salamanders, and other salamanders. That's there are a bunch of salamanders uh, newts as well. Yes. And they are distributed there. They are distributed in the Neartic, which is here in the, the United States, in both coasts. Um, they're also in Southeast Asia, if I'm correct, in Japan. And they're also in Europe, Not, Western Asia. And no, I think and, uh, in, but no Africa, no Australia, right? Well, I think, yeah, in Northern Africa because of Morocco. Oh, Northern yeah, yeah, Africa, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 So um, then after that, we have my favorite, <laughs> which are um, uh, Pletodon toid salamanders and amphiumas that we talked about is a family of platinumtoid salamanders and we also exactly. in, within that family we, within that group we have also platodontids which, which are, are the amazing l- they're <laughs> the lungless the lungless salamanders, salamanders. Yeah. yes and they are have a very interesting distributions for salamanders they're found all over the united states in the both coasts they're also found in southeast asia in a tiny tiny part of southeast asia uh, they're also found in Europe, in Italy, and um, they are the only salamanders that extend into uh, the South America, yeah, into the so Neotropics, yeah. yeah. Yep, which is really And remarkable. actually, I have, I, it's one of the, uh, my, the first salamander that I ever saw was uh, Apolitoglosa, which is That's one of these. insane. G- yes. 
Which one? Oh no! And now are, which are uh, uh, variegata, which is now one of the ones that are very endangered. Um, yeah, they're all they're all super. Well, as many many of other amphibians, um, salamanders are also suffering right now, and a lot of their exactly. species yeah. are greatly endangered in a big way. Yeah. Well, yeah. your South Amer- yeah your South American plethodontids they, they got hit pretty hard with. Yes. Disease severely. and pet trade. Yeah, because a lot of the species are from cloud forests, and those yeah. are the species that seem more susceptible. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right, more, so more that's that your salamanders. <laughs> yes, We're gonna indeed. go now to frogs, which are actually extremely diverse, and compared to the other two groups that we just talked about, are crazy diverse. And Absolutely. we're not going to go into detail in any of those. Because Gabriel is now going to families, recount all the species of frogs. <laughs> no, but I'm just going to tell you that there are 56 species, um, families of frogs. Yeah, 56, and based is, on the latest phylogenies, it's not enough. No, and, and I, Mark, you should talk about uh, quickly um, that, phyl- that taxonomy of frogs has changed a lot in the past two decades. That oh, yeah, that has, in a big way, in a yes. really huge way. So, I mean... Early on, there was this concept that basically everything that looks remotely like a frog is a rana and belongs in the ranids. And today, we recognize the ranidae, or the, the ranid frogs, to represent only a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction. And this is why, and I, now ha- this is why I now had to learn how to say lithobates when lithobates. I want yes, to talk about or a lithobates, yes. yes. Absolutely. So this comes as part of the whole splitting up of Rana. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even even in Europe, it was quite bad this because is, we went from having this is UFO all over again. <laughs> oh no! And it has to happen with Hyla. It's much and worse. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it has it has happened with every single family. If yeah. you work in the neotropics, everything was every tiny frog that you found in the leaf litter was a Idotherodactylus, yeah. um, and now that has they even moved families. I mean, not even exactly. closely related. So. And they had to. They had to. I mean, yes. all of the changes that have been made, or the most most of the changes that have been made to higher taxonomy, so non-species taxonomy, super yeah. supra specific taxonomy within the frogs has been to help rather than to hinder so it's been really improving the way that we can understand these things it's good but it still burns because i but yes it's very difficult to relearn (laughs) and we have the same thing in madagascar all of the tree frogs in madagascar were all in racophorus oh racophorus being a southeast asian group of frogs and everyone was like everything's racophorus well are those the like the eared frogs well, the famous gliding frog no. was a oh, racophorus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Are they, do they do the... But racophorus yeah. are extremely hyper-diverse. So even racophorus, as it's seen today, might later need to be split up at least into subgenera because it's insane. There are flying frogs, there are river frogs, there are stream... like. Well, like, uh, you're going to get in an agreement there with people that want... like That's the same argument for a, for a nolis, you know, that... If it's, just, it's the most diverse genus and people, you know, want to split it, some other people want to keep it the same. No, no, I don't think you have to keep, I don't think you have to split it. I mean, if you look at, the thing is, like, Racophoridae, so this is the important thing. So Racophorus itself are largely tree frogs, whereas the Racophorids, which used to all have the same genus name, they all used to be, or almost all of them used to be Racophorus, 
that includes included all the frogs from Madagascar. It's now been split into many, many different genera, which are largely conservant, with, yeah. co conserved in terms of their ecologies. But the diversity of the Racophoridae and the Mantellidae, which is what happened to all of the Racophorids from Madagascar when they were split off, um, that origin was really quite, uh, or, or that diversity is really very impressive. So but anyway, but that's a topic to, for another going day. Going back to Rana, is so who got to keep Rana? Which ones Europe. are still? And it's the same yeah. thing with Bufo, right? Like the yeah, the, because those were the first because species. Those yeah. are those first species described. It's not yeah. like we we get to claim them because we're Europe. Is <laughs> they that that Did arrangement you? happens based on where the type specimens God came from? Exactly. You colonized my frogs, and you know. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Yeah, well now you're it's 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 actually the reversal of that colonization. Yeah, Everyone okay. coming all over right, and being right, like, right. "This is all Rana." Yeah, well, yeah. it's not Rana. Sorry. Uh, all right, looks maybe like yeah. maybe uh, in, on another day when we talk specifically about frogs, we can go, uh, you know, <laughs> through all exactly. the families. But there are a ton of families. We're gonna there. do instead super families and other super high ranks. So all right. frogs can be divided into two groups. There is the clade Neobatrachia, which is all of the, let's say, modern frogs or recent mm -hmm. advanced frogs or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then there is a grade, a grade for those who don't know what that is, is basically like a clade except paraphyletic on purpose. Um, <laughs> there is a grade called Archaeobatrachia, which mm -hmm. includes uh, the Pelobatoids, the Pipoids, the discoglossoids and the lyopelomatoids. Does that not yeah. which are kind of like a, so like a, like a normal miscellaneous bin to you, though? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's well, what a grade purposely, is. Yeah, it's purposely made that way. It's like it's, it's like yeah. scolicophidia for blind snakes. Exactly. Mm, okay. The scolicophidia okay. is a nightmare. We'll get to that in a second. <laughs> yeah, um, in a minute. In a minute, we'll get there. <laughs> so, uh, but we the archaeobatrachids... amphibians yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For those of you who don't know um, what those things are that I just said, the Archaeobatrachians include the tailed frogs, the um, the midwife toads. And, the, the, and you said the baby back nightmare frogs. Pipid, yeah, baby back nightmare frogs. Um, and also the scaphiopus, so like the toads, the the American toads. Yeah, the, what's uh, spade foot toads? Oh. Yeah, spear. Yeah, I was gonna say Anaxorus is uh, or right? That's yes, maybe. What used to I be? I don't know. Bufo mm -hmm. used to be. No, 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 but spade foot. No, no. Oh, that's a true toad. Yeah, spade foot. I suppose the ones that have the actually a lot of. They they have like the vertical pupil and they have yeah they have like gecko eyeballs yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah okay and don't they they spend a lot of they're burrowers they spend most of the time underground yeah yeah, yeah. and we said we were going to talk about a little bit about pipit frogs here because we <laughs> we were talking about uh, Linda Troop about her work on pipit frogs right? exactly yeah yeah so I mean pipits are are not a super diverse group. But most people know of pipids through two different um, mechanisms or, or species, rather. When I the post, one when I post is, gifts of them on Twitter, to yes, gross exactly. everyone out. So if you have trypophobia, <laughs> like don't Mark go does. Google Peepa Peepa because 
<laughs> they raise their babies in their backs and then they hatch out, in Peepa Peepa's case, as a fully formed frog, in Peepa Parva's case, as tadpoles. And it's horrendous. <laughs> um, but you probably know pipid frogs not from their South American representatives, but from their African representatives, which are xenopus, which yeah. are the world's most widespread frogs, not in the wild, but in labs. Yeah. Because yeah. pregnancy tests and pregnancy drug tests. Also, tests also and all these things. Early on, they had the, the finger pointed at them for chytrid. Uh, chytrid, uh, yes. Yeah. Which was maybe deserved and maybe not. St- as jury's deserved. still out, right? It was deserved, but not as deserved as, as it it's was. It's not the originally. sole cause, right? Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. And I, I must I must make a paleontological uh, insert here. I must yeah. say really quickly that frogs uh, probably um, appeared in the very early Trias- Triassic, and then they a lot of the these um, uh, uh, groups that Mark was talking about uh, diversified in the Jurassic. And many of the frogs uh, families that we know uh, appeared in the Cretaceous uh, and in the first part of the Paleogene. At least, yeah. So at least the super families generally originated in the Cretaceous, and then most of the um, the modern families originated at the Cretaceous Paleogene border. Yes. So there was this massive diversification event that followed that you know the the 65 million year ago cataclysm that's yes. interesting because you always yeah you only ever hear talk about mammal diversification then uh, and birds well and birds because birds but, are little birds diversify in that particular time i've never heard anyone talk about about amphibians exploding in diversification from that yeah no it was it was a big big deal so if you look the most recent um, and best quality tree on this is by Feng et al. It was published in mm-hmm. um, in PNAS in 2017 with mm-hmm. the title Phylogenomics Reveals Rapid Simultaneous Diversification of Three Major Clades of Gondwan and Frogs at the Cretaceous Paleogene Boundary. And basically, so their beautiful, beautiful tree um, has very strong support for this, this rapid diversification of three large families slash superfamilies in particular. So, or well, four, sort of. There's Natanura, which is a superfamily that includes the Ronids. Then there's Afrobatrachia. I don't know if these are actually superfamilies, but anyway, Afrobatrachia, <laughs> which includes the Hyperolids, reed frogs. There are the Microhylids, which based on this phylogeny should definitely be divided into families with Microhyloidia, becoming the new superfamily. And the hyloids, which did a ridiculously crazy thing and became both tree frogs and toads. Mm. Mm-hmm. Very weird. Can I, can I just, can I, because I don't know anything about anurin phylogeny at all, but is there... I a, recommend you read this paper. Is, it's great. I, I will. But is, it, is there a good reason? Is it solely convergence that is responsible for, like, your... Uh, Australian tree frogs looking so similar yeah, so to this your is South a great, American. This is a great topic. Um, frogs can only do so many things. It's a physical, so it's a constraint on their... There's uh, this idea that within their possible physiological shape, 
they can only be in so many different niches. And yes, some of them have pushed the boundaries in weird ways. Right. Like, especially, um, what's it called? Rhinophrenus? Crested toad. Rhinophrenus. The, the very weird um, toad from, from Mexico. Yeah, Rhinophrenus mexicans. Rhino, yeah, exactly. And then you have, of course, the gliding frogs. Like, these are unusual groups. Yeah. But in most of the diversification events, you have, like, you have the stream frogs and you have the tree frogs look and at, you have uh, look at La Latoria and you compare mm -hmm. it to some of the South American tree frogs yeah and it's I just would be hard like it's well, hard but that, but that, me, that, as a non-expert it's hard for me to like even but you could say that for all tree frogs actually like if you see tree frogs even from Europe right. some of them look very similar to tree frogs in South America in, he in North America so well in that case they're, they are in fact all hylids yeah. So the European tree frogs are the same that's family. That's just I'm just saying it's, it's, that's all. Whereas the Australian ones. So what's crazy, think about it this way. Okay, so racophorids and mantelids are sister genera to one another. Yeah? Okay. Mm -hmm. And they both include stream frogs, uh, tree frogs. Um, the mantelids also include dart frogs. Yeah, mantelids are, are like dart frogs. They're like the Australian yeah, yeah. version of a Mantella dart frog. is like dart frogs, but they're bufus as well in that family. And bufus are true, real, real tree frogs. They look exactly like South American and Southeast Asian tree frogs, but they are not closely related. Well, and the, that's the common ancestor of these was probably a stream-dwelling frog. So they have independently become almost indistinguishable tree frogs. I mean, that's one of the most striking examples of convergent evolution. It's not something that I see a lot talked about outside of yeah. herpetology. That's because, her, because the concept of convergent evolution is actually evolutionarily uninteresting. Right. Because there's only so much you can say about it. You can say, okay, these things look the same, but what does that mean? What are the questions right. that you can answer? Well, really, there? really, right. And really what it is is what, what are the constraints that are leading to right. building right. This, this, this organism, you know? Which is a great question. And people are looking into that, but they're starting, I think, largely with tadpoles because there's a question of whether the tadpoles are conserved between the different groups and all that stuff. So yes. this is something that you can talk about for literally and, hours. And, yes, and this is another thing that we haven't even touched and we're not going to right now. In this all right, episode, I'm sorry. I didn't, I just, that's something that's... <laughs> no, but I, I was just going to say that one of the things that make amphibians taxonomy even more complicated is the fact that they go through a larval stage where a lot of yeah. things change and yeah. they look completely different. So. They, yeah. and they, right, well, it's a good example of evolution screwing with development to get different results. You know? yes. Yeah, there's, I mean, that, yes and no, because you have this weird, like, correlation between larval form and adult form that isn't then a real correlation. There was a paper about this last year uh, in Scientific Reports by uh, Wollenberg Valero et al., um, which I actually edited. And the, uh, I mean, I, I was doing the English language editing, not the actual editing editing, because I'm not that good. Um, and in that, they showed that there is a, an uncoupling, basically, between the larval evolution, the selection on larval morphology. Well, uh, solely for, and are you talking solely for, for anurans? Solely for frogs. Okay. Because I was, but kind, anyway. I was kind of thinking, like, including caudata. 
where oh yeah but codet it gets really complicated the the i mean the fact is we don't even know what the ancestral tadpole looked like we have no idea exactly because the the ancestral like the deepest groups within the archaeobatrachia or whatever you like however you like to pronounce it they have extremely variable different tadpole things and yes pipoids are amongst the most basal but still they they like they're most of them are filter feeders that's what we know huh. I just wanted to give one more example of crazy convergent evolution before we move on to reptiles. Um, and that is within the, the frogs that I study. So we have this one radiation in the subfamily of the microhylids called Cophylinae, which is only found on Madagascar. And what's insane is that we, we have in this group arboreal, terrestrial, and fossorial frogs, which have certainly gone from terrestrial to arboreal and then back again yikes <laughs> and and uh arboreal to terrestrial to fossorial and basically every possible combination of those three different ecological types we have had actual transitions that we can see in the osteology of these frogs the frogs are doing insane things with their evolutionary history and their and their morpho morphology over actually really very small time frames huh. so it becomes quite difficult to study things especially so this misled a lot of the early phylo phylogenies of the frogs because homoplasy or plesiomorphies um, uh, basically convergent evolution is so widespread in frogs that you have lost signal in anything that is ecologically relevant. Well, those guys any feature of the right, body. Those guys were all relevant. trying to reconstruct based on um, based on anatomy. bodies on right. anatomy exactly. and, and that anatomy with, is yeah. a huge problem in frogs. It works in reptiles for the most part. It well, does not work in frogs. You <laughs> have now, turtles. Let's talk about reptiles. Exactly. <laughs> yes. And um, so let's go back a little bit to what I said. Remember when I told you that there were basically roughly two groups that um, evolved next one group next to the Temnospondyl was Reptiliomorpha. Well, that group has a ton of uh, little uh, uh, other groups that that are included with it, that clade Reptiliomorpha. But eventually, one group uh, called Amniota uh, came out from was the most derived uh, uh, member of that clade, and Amniota means that. Uh, these were animals that were able to have a protective uh, uh, shell around their eggs, keeping an amniote, which is called the amniote, that uh, that that uh, membrane around the the, right. the yeah. egg is called the amniote. That's why. So one of the big called. limitations of amphibians, just to relate, was that amphibians had to keep coming back to water to lay their eggs. Exactly. And this is something that these for, reptiliomorphs had for, gotten over. And, and even yeah, if they the, didn't, and even if they didn't time, need to go back to, yeah, and even if they didn't need to go back to, to, to they, they still need moisture. Yes, like yes a, exactly. A, a large amount of moisture to keep the eggs. Reptiles and don't need that. So um, from this group, Amniota, they branched out into synapsids. Can I, can, I are, can I pause for a second there? I wanted to say, I think right off the bat, you kind of, uh, dropped something there that, that I don't think a lot of people know. I think that because everyone is kind of the popular concept is to think, you know, fish crawls onto land, becomes amphibian, becomes reptile, and you just 
pointed out, that's not re- that's not how it works. No. Right, right. No, obviously, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, obvious to us, and obviously it's not. Obvious uh, to us, but not obvious to the average person. And I well, think, because until until the relatively diff- recently, synapses were considered reptiles as well. So I mean, and I talked relatively recently, decades. But I think a lot of people still carry that old school. That's why they call mammal-like reptiles, and that name is not used anymore for that's, synapses. Uh, well, therapsids, uh, therapsids, right? That's uh, synapsids. 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 Therapsids is, therapsids is a group of synapses. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so okay, so synapsids eventually gave rise to us mammals, and there was another group which became very successful called reptiles, and that is the group that we're going to talk about. And <clears throat> within that group, there are um, several groups alive today. One of them, uh, those are turtles, which are colonians, testudins, is another name, um, mm-hmm. crocodilians. Which and uh, which are archosaurs. We're going to talk about those in a little bit. And <laughs> which gets uh, into a little bit of a sticky thing. So well, all of this is going to take us <laughs> get us into a sticky thing. And then there are lepidosauromorphs, which divide into squamates and rhynchocephalians. Rhynchocephalians are is the tuatara, and squamates are lizards, and a group of lizards with legs called snakes. The best we're going to get into that. We're <laughs> exactly. going to get into that in a few. We'll get to um, that in a minute. Yeah. So I'm going to talk first about the one, the, the, the extant group that is has the most complicated um, history of um, like understanding where it comes from. And those, those are turtles. There is no there. Turtles have been all over the the uh, reptile tree. Just like Still, just like Sicilians were for amphibians. Well, even even worse actually, even worse. <laughs> Um, um, turtles have been part of pararreptiles, which is a different, completely group, complete uh, different group of reptiles that that uh, evolved very early in the history of reptiles. They, well, they were diapsids for a while. Right? Well, they are. They're diap- still diapsids. They, they are. They are diapsids <laughs> <now>. <laughs> you want me to confuse you very uh, yeah, a lot? Yeah. I'm going to tell you that now there is a study that says that pararreptiles are a group of diapsids. No. So, no. So. Yes. So, but I'm, we're not going to deal into that. What I'm okay. going to say is that they have moved all over. Some people consider them closer to archosaurs, which are crocodilians and birds, and some mm. people consider them closer to lepidosauromorphs. Some people consider them closer to neither, and they're yeah. part of pararreptiles. Some weird. I'll just, I'll just put in that the most recent, again, the most recent phylogenomic study, which is this Isari et al. study from 2017. Um, that I mentioned before, and that, again, will be in the, the show notes, they have found them to be sister to archosaurs with, I mean, with genomics, you always get full support. So this is a fully supported relationship sister to to the archosaurs. I'm not sure if they are always found there in all of their different reconstructions. However, uh, <laughs> yeah. I must say that, you know, a lot of, of course, genetics only gives us a tiny bit of the information of the animals alive today and we are missing a lot of yes 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 and especially these deep notes are extremely exactly exactly but we're going to move from that really quickly and tell you that um turtles um which are Chelonians, not Chelonians, like mark pronounced them Uh, (laughs) i always um, said i have always said Chelonians. so i say Chelonians because i also uh say chips (laughs) 
not not ships. Yeah, even though not one kids. is one is Greek <laughs> and the other one is. <laughs> well, actually, I've seen that like before, where people like I, I actually saw people arguing about whether it was cephalopod or cephalopod. A lot of yeah, people pronounce cephalopod. It, it should be cephalopod, yeah. but it sounds. But awful, nobody says so. that. Yeah, I just literally no British watched, people say yeah, British exactly. people say cephalopod. Do they? Yeah, I've never yeah. heard that. Uh, okay. Yeah, right. I just yeah. I just watched a documentary yesterday about cephalopods. That's crazy. I call them cephalopods, but I, when I grew up, I was calling them cephalopods when I was finding them. Well, there was an oh, what was it? Archaeopteryx was one where someone was like, really, it should be pronounced differently, and I can't remember how they were saying it was supposed to be pronounced. Someone was saying it's triceratops. Yeah, well, it wasn't the Ford. Versus oh, that, yeah, that don't, don't bring that one up. That's yes, just... Let's not let's not. Uh, give, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So okay, here's a reminder so, for me to cut that bit. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to say that uh, turtles divide in two main groups. Uh, turtles alive today divide in two main groups. Cryptodira. Swimmy ones and not so swimmy ones. <laughs> yeah, Cryptodira that's, and Pleurodira. That's the, that's the frog situation all over again because they've evolved terrestrial Multiple times. And, and, you know, aquaticness. I don't know what the real words for that are. But over and over again, right? That's Yeah, that's, that's yeah. Yeah. Actually, during their history, they have become aquatic and the terrestrial and aquatic. Uh, even though they are believed to have started... <laughs> <laughs> Be one thing, okay? So, <laughs> from these two groups, uh, because we have to go through this fast at some point, um, so there are 14 uh, families of turtles alive today. Eventually, in another episode, we will probably get into them at some point, but... We're going to move. <laughs> yes, let's. Let's move deal with along. archosaurs, shall we? Okay. Yes, we're going to deal with archosaurs because archosaurs is a very interesting group and one of the most studied groups of reptiles. Even and we're going uh, to blow your mind, right? Yes. So archosaurs are um, a very, very... They appeared somewhere around... I want to say they're tri- the late Triassic and uh yeah the late triassic or archosaurid forms at least appear during the late no because dinosaurs were alive yeah so this group i think you mean crocodilo forms right where it's uh, well uh they appear during the middle triassic i want to say okay yeah so (laughs) um um so archosaurs is a group that is it includes um crocodilians alive today and also it includes dinosaurs and modern dinosaurs which are birds so technically birds are reptiles yes but we we're don't, not going to talk about but them. we don't consider them herps <laughs> for the purpose of this podcast exactly but in herpetology we don't consider them part of because our there study are not group. a lot of birds that creep <laughs> exactly and because well, traditionally but it's, it's, the reason see, is because traditionally with, they weren't I was just going to say that, exactly that, that this has yeah. more to do with traditional Tradition. lines of study than the truth of the yeah. phylogeny of it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And also, if you're going to study all of the reptiles and all of the amphibians, and then someone's like, why are you going to do birds as well? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off. Well, but traditionally it's because, that's how you, you know, Darren. it was until, it was only until, <laughs> yeah, that's rel- how you get it was only until relatively recently that it was proven that, you know, birds are a branch of theropod dinosaurs. 
So, yes, exactly. um, so you know, for the most part of the history of herpetology, they weren't cons- they, they weren't considered reptiles. So can I can I just can I tell the story about my my trying to argue with the landlord? Yes. <laughs> about this. So one time when I was in college, I I found out that a neighbor had it was an apartment I was renting, and a neighbor had a bird, but I wasn't supposed to have any reptiles, and I tried to argue <laughs> using. The phylogeny that said, you know, well, technically a rep, a bird is a reptile. Therefore, you have no, you know, you can't tell me no. D- it did. And work. worse than that, they have a fucking dinosaur in their room. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> I I was unsuccessful in my attempt, but <laughs> but should you ever need to be in that, or should you ever be in that situation? Exactly. It won't work. <laughs> so um, this other branch of, of uh, archosaurs, which are crocodilians, um, you know, today, unfortunately, most crocodilians are endangered and they're not a particularly diverse group. They used but to be, though. They used to be. They used to be hugely diverse, especially during the, uh, um, the uh, Mesozoic. Right. We, used, but, we, we think of them as watery things, but really, right, they were... You know, they had all sorts of forms. They were doing forms. all the things. Yeah. Relative to the crocodiles, yeah. Crocodiles yeah. relative to where, where, you know, branching to the whole different kinds of environment. They were running but around on land. and. Today, stuff. unfortunately, there are only three families. And yeah. one of them is the gharials or the gavials from uh, India and Southeast, and Southeast Asia. There are also the alligatorids, which are the alligators and caimans from... Um, the Americas and China. And the one outlier in China, right? <laughs> and the one outlier in China. And then there are the, uh, croco- the crocodilites, which are the crocodiles, which are the most widely distributed group, and they're found throughout Africa, Southeast Asia, India, Australia, and um, the Americas. But mostly and I think from... The, the important thing is to remember here that, that they are all collectively closer to birds... Yes. Right? Then they are to a lizard, quote unquote, reptiles proper, right? Where you have lizards and exactly, yeah, you know, or what we think as reptiles proper, because I never like the term because people think reptiles proper as snakes. Or well, lizard, it, but that's really, honestly, it's, it's right. Reptile itself is kind of a meaningless word. It doesn't hold any value as far as exactly. Uh, you know, it's like fish, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Why don't you tell us the, the, the story about the tuna and the whale? Oh, yeah, that was Mark. good. Oh, yeah. So um, a, a friend, a colleague of mine was doing this brain exercise. And he said, okay, you have these three animals. You have a blue whale, a tuna fish, and a shark. Which is the tuna most closely related to? And instinctively, you must say the other fish, because it's also a fish. But in fact, because of evolutionary history, and because the tuna fish is a bony fish, rather than a cartilaginous fish, which is what the shark is, the bony fishes are more closely related to tetrapods, right? that is to say blue whales, than they are to any of the elasmobranchs or, you know, the, the, the um, cartilaginous fishes. So... Blows your mind. 
I mean, my brain was all over the walls when I realized that. Yeah. I thought that was insane. But true. It's, I mean, yeah. yeah. So that's why you feel slightly more guilty when you eat a coelacanth than when you eat a, a salmon. <laughs> it's very expensive, but I really recommend it. I'm just going to make a, a quick correction. I'm going to say that archosaurs appear in the early Triassic. Just to, just a quick correction just, of what just I just saw you guys re- writing emails right now. Yes, it's not in the middle Triassic; it's in the early. Well, Gabriel yeah. said it. Yeah, <laughs> slash so, possibly even slightly before. Yeah, it's like exactly possibly even slightly before. Yeah. Okay, so um, I'm going to talk about now the best group of reptiles. Rhynchosaurians. That is, <laughs> is lepidosauromorphs, and lepidosauromorphs includes. Rhynchocephalians, like the Totara, and squamates, which are lizards and snakes. And they appear somewhere in the middle Triassic. Both groups diverge in the middle Triassic. They appear much earlier. They, they appear probably early in the per, in late Permian. But both groups, Rhynchocephalian and squamates, diverge in the middle Triassic. And there's only one representative of, uh, of Rhynchocephalians alive today, and that's the Totara. However, this is a group that was really diverse in the Mesozoic and even part of even after that. Yes. Um, and recent genetic studies say that all the different islands also are different species of Sphenodon, but maybe subspecies. It's very weird. I don't I'm not a big fan of the it's subspecies. All, it's all conservation model. crap. Yeah, exactly. Can, it can becomes put, less less about facts and more about protecting things. Can you put two of them in a cage together and it doesn't matter though. A lot of a lot of species can interbreed. Can breed. Yeah, yeah. That's not a good species definition. I mean, species it is a standard one. We don't have one, a good one though. There isn't a good one. No. Well, I mean, there, there is the standard answer that's like an independently evolving biological unit. And also, yeah. And also, but, I am a big fan of having several lines of evidence to support yes species. exactly. All right. So, all right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. The Kiro. I did not mean to slight. The Tuatara breeding <laughs> effort. Tuatara, Tuatara hater. You, you're the Tuatara hater. I just, I, well, I do need to put my rant in about every time anyone talks about Tuataras, we have to hear the thing about the three eyes. Yes. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and yes. now we have to hear about this, this um, Varanid lizard that has four eyes. Uh, oh, Jesus Christ! All right, I was so angry. Yes, yes, they have a, uh, a an organ parietal pineal eye parietal eye that that senses temperature differences. Yes, in fact, you can really see it on on uh, iguanas very easily. Uh, yeah, yeah. And a lot of lizards. Super widespread in lepidosaurs. Yes, yeah. it's not an act like it's it's not it has you said it right it has a lens right. But it's yeah, not an so actual, some of them have lenses. It's and, not a literal and, uh, blinky eyeball, though. No, exactly. <laughs> so, so some species have lenses and a retinal field, um, but none of them have like the full eye yeah. shebang. Right. Yeah, and I must say that even even in, uh, for uh, for herpetologists, sometimes you can use them even in, in diag- diagnosis, like species diagnosis. Some species have it, or some species have it more. Uh, right. M- more marked than others yeah it, it can have a, a diagnostic value I, all I, exactly. i'm getting at is, is it's not unique to tuataras so why do we have to hear no, about exactly. it every time we talk about tuataras that yeah. and the fact that they are living fossils which is a term that should be <laughs> forbidden living fossils is a term that should be outlawed yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> yeah that's true yeah. 
All right, so talking about Squamate, let's talk about Squamate, which is the best group of all. Yes. So the the most basal group of Squamates are Dibamates. And Dibamates or Dibamates is a group of, they used to be considered, I mean, they they used to be considered, and I think sometimes they're still recovered as sister clade to Gekodans, which are geckos. But Mm -hmm. they look like, um, they look a lot like like, um, blind snakes because... They look kind of wormy, like. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are quite wormy. They are they're quite wormy, but they are, they are um, they they look uh, they're snake-like, but they have they lack forelimbs, but but they have flap-like hind limbs. Huh. As do a bajillion different other reptiles. Yes, because <laughs> losing their limbs has happened many, many, it's many, It's very many, popular many, many, many in times. reptiles. Shall yes. we list the groups that have lost their limbs? Uh, Lealis. Oh, so many. Well, yeah, no, so uh, but that's... Geckos so, have lost their limbs. Skips. Skinks have lost their limbs many times. Oh, Anguids. Gimophthalmids. Snakes. <laughs> yes. It's very... Oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a popular those are, group. Yeah. And those are the uh, the extant groups. I'm sure this happened exactly. many, many times before. I yeah. can't get over the gecko one, though, because that's nuts. If you think about that, it's like the whole group is like, let's develop these really highly specialized Well, geckos limbs, are very cool you know? because geckos belong to a, a, a clade called Gekota. And it used to be that most of the families that are now in Gekota were considered geconids at one yeah, time. right. Um, except for the pig of pits and stuff like that, or like where the asses is. But nowadays, yeah. in recent history time, this has changed a lot. And now, Geconide has split into several families. So we're going to talk really briefly about them. Okay. Um, Go for it. Yes, we have the most basal ones, which are probably um, Ublepharids, which for people here in the United States, they are well known. Leopard geckos. They're the ones with the can blinky eyes. Yeah, they, they have, have blinky eye- eyes. Yeah. They have eyelids, which for geckos is a rarity because most geckos don't have eyelids. Exactly. Then, um, then you have um, pigopids, which are um, a group of <coughs> geckos that Isn't are isolated. Isn't it pygopodids? That's well, your lim- that's your your legless geckos. Yes, those are they are snake-like, and they I see a Y. I pronounce. Pigopids, but if you can. <laughs> but isn't you know, there another podid in there? Pigopodid, yeah, that's what I. Think. Pico, yeah, pigopodids too. Pigopodids. <laughs> yeah, pigopodid. In German, it's pigopodidae. It's true. So the, this one, uh, lizard-eating specialists, right? Yeah, and they the are. They, oh, yeah, they're awesome. They're awesome, and they're awesome because they look like a snake, but all of a sudden, this snake can lick his hair. It's eyeball. It's eyeball. Yeah. That's yeah. the only way you can tell them apart, except for the fact that they have silly little flaps where their feet used to be. <laughs> and I they also about to say that too. It's just like it blows my mind that geckos would go through all that evolution to have these amazing adhesive fingers, and then go eh. Yeah, but they did that seven, <laughs> at least seven different times. <laughs> yeah. So it's the frogs yeah. again. It's the you know. Yeah. 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 Eh. <laughs> And and also exactly. I must say if you have ever picked up a a, a liasis, you know how different they feel from a snake because they have this velvety texture that is very gecko like yeah. and very not, geckos yeah. have these weirdly soft scales. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, particularly like 
Have you like day geckos? If you felt the felsuma, yeah, or like it's and felsuma, and actually, uh, if you ever hold a Europlatus, yeah, it's yes, it's yes. like silk. Yes, it, it doesn't feel. Scaly it happens at also. All. Yeah, it happens also a lot with um, some spherodactylids. Mm, the little tiny, yeah. tiny, the micro geckos, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so super well, fine scales, yeah. Yeah. So the 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 sister group of uh, pigopodids, which are these snake-like uh, geckos, are carpodactylids, which are um, the knobtail geckos, which look really cool. They live in Australia, yes, and um, and they have these really weird knob-like tails. Yes. Mm. They're almost aside from the tail thing. They they they're almost like the Australian version of a eublepharid. You know, like they yeah they, exactly. They have a lot of the same uh, sort of adaptations and stuff. Yeah, and I think very we, weird geckos. Now yeah. that I'm thinking about it, we're definitely going to have to do an episode of just about geckos because there's oh, so yeah. much to say about geckos. Maybe Absolutely. maybe a few. <laughs> yes, it's true. It's true. Then then we have the diplodactylids, which is a very diverse group. Um, uh, uh, which, you know, they also live in Australia and New Zealand, and uh, there are numerous genera there. Um, Diplodactyl, oh, that's, uh, yeah, okay. Diplodactylids, yeah. Yeah. And then we have, uh, they, they, there are a bunch of weird adaptations in that group that we will talk about. They even have some that squirt something from the tip of their tails and stuff like that. So they're really um, interesting group. Very, very cool. Yeah. Then we have um, in the new world we have spherodactylids, which are among my favorite geckos, and I'm very familiar with them. I've described a new species from an island in northern Venezuela, and it's a, it's a, one of my favorite groups. They and have among a, the smallest geckos and, and, and among, among the smallest, smallest vertebrates. vertebrates. Yeah. 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 And and they have a weird distribution because they are found in the neotropics, including the Caribbean, and also in northern Africa. In they southern do, Europe, they do. Uh, are they? Do they have the parthenogenesis too? I think. Am I thinking of that, or am I thinking of? Um, no, I no. don't think they're parthenogenesis. Actually, the opposite. I think a lot of the. Um, oh, I'm thinking. I'm, sorry. I'm thinking of uh, Lepidodactylus, which is the. Yeah, no, the, the, it's like a comic. Yeah, no, yeah. It's like a comic, yeah. Okay. No, but the uh, spherodactylids are very cool because a lot of spherodactylids are very sexually dimorphic, which is. Okay. We are for yep. geckos because a lot of species species are diurnal, so um, so we have stuff like gonatodes, which just all these crazy colors. Uh, and to me, uh, they rival felsuma in coloration. They have. They're, they're weirdly like felsumids a lot, a lot of the time too. You mentioned they're this. more like Lagodactylus, but yes, they're very similar to day geckos in many respects. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking and, more the diurn, you know, being diurnal, having the rounded pupils, having the. Oh yeah, you know. all of the hallmarks of being diurnal are semi-arboreal or arboreal but, uh, lizards. But unlike Felsuma, Gonatodes is very highly sexually dimorphic. Uh, in yeah. which males are yeah. beautifully colored and females are all drab and stuff. So it's a really cool group that we will talk about um, in a future episode. Then we have <laughs> the Philodactylids or Philodactylids, um, which are. Uh, a group that is super interesting too, and it has a, a wide and, distribution. And I need to remind everyone while we're going, this, we are still talking about just geckos here. <laughs> exactly, because they're okay. super. They're a very diverse and very um, ba primitive group. Also, I mean, I yeah. want to say primitive to sound bad, but you know, it's a it's a it's a basal group of squamates. Well, there, and there's a some long time there's some good squamates. examples of of them in 
in the well there's the amber preserved gecko too right? yeah and, that, and that's the reason but but there are some good examples of geckotans from yeah. the jurassic and and from the solenhofen so go way back where yeah from the solenhofen solenhofen is where, really close to where I, where i am and that's the famous formation that has uh, archaeopteryx so from that that's formation there are some good geckotans okay <laughs> and then we get uh, geconids, which are the, uh, I guess, the quote. most typical geckos, geckos that people know. Yeah. Like, How many I mean, species are there? 800 oh or something? Oh, God, forever. This is, yeah, there's, I don't even know exactly what the latest number is, but there are <laughs> many, tons of There are many, many, I think, many. I think Toke is my favorite there. Gecko gecko? Gecko That's gecko. That's a true gecko. Yeah, gecko gecko. Which is, which is right. an onomatopoeia. Both of those, Toke and gecko, are onomatopoeia. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, because they, that's the sound they make when they call. Ah, we even yeah. we even haven't said that geckos are the only um, squamates that actually call. They make calls like uh, yeah. frog-like calls. So this or is a very chirp, they chirp, group. they squeak, they do. Oh, they it's pretty amazing. They do all sorts of vocal. Yeah, but they do it for not only when you grab them or handle them. They do it oh, no. for mating purposes. Yeah. Oh, I had yeah. a toke gecko, and he never shut up. Yeah, yeah, we have them introduced that. here in Miami, and you hear them at night or after rain sometimes, you hear yes. them. Yes. Okay, but we we cannot keep talking about geckos, so I'm <laughs> forward. And, and we now go into a clade called the Syncoid Lizard, which includes... Also called by other humans, Skinkoids, <laughs> because we say skink, well, because we put Ks in it. That's true, and actually that's a better way to pronounce them, and I think that's the, yes. correct, that's the correct way to pronounce them, skin coins. I liked yours, you, it was good. And then you have this, in that group, you have the skinks, of course, you have the cordylids, which are the girdle, uh, the, uh, plated, the girdle, um, what is it that they call in English? Armadillo lizards. Plated lizards, or, oh, Sun yeah, girdled, girdled lizards, girdled cordylids lizards, are girdled yeah. lizards. Yeah, Garasaurs are plated lizards. Aren't yeah. they uh, sun gazers? I thought was the was the other name for them. There, yeah, there is a species oh, that's yes, called a sun gazer, but I don't know if all of them are called sun gazers. There is the best genus in all of the reptilia, <laughs> Smaug. Yeah. Oh yeah, true. Smaug giganteus. Yeah. One of the best. Also, also one of the saddest of stories, as goes the reptile industry, immediately latching onto that. Oh, that's true. That's true. Because they got. I haven't um, heard about that. Yeah. You haven't? Yeah. We can we can discuss that at another time. Yeah, another, yeah. Time, another time. I believe Sorry. it. Well, I, I'm a, I'm a, also from this group. It's the night lizards, the centusids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and I must say so also very that, mysterious weirdos. Yes, and they, they they're, like, they're um, like it's like they're doing an impression of a gecko. Yes, <laughs> with the body of a skink. Yes. Yes, exactly. It's a skink yeah. trying to do a gecko. Yeah. Yes, and they live in the southeastern part of the United States and in Central America. And I must say that skinks have a very complicated taxonomy, and there are a million species. <laughs> yeah. Maybe even a bajillion. Yes. Maybe. A million skinks species. are ridiculous. And, and some. They're weird... also the best at losing their legs. Yes, they have and, lost and, their legs many, 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 many times. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Following that, we go into um, the lacertoid lizards, which includes um, my some of my favorite uh, lizards, the teats, yeah. which is a, a group found in the Americas, the whiptails, tegus, and all that. 
Then we have the gymnostalmids, which I love, which are mostly neotropical. Just uh, is the is the neotropical answer to skinks because skinks are not super diverse. I mean, they are diverse, but not as diverse as in other parts of the world in the neotropics. So a lot of those niches have been occupied by gymnostalmids, and they look very similar. Talking about convergent evolution, yeah. a lot mm -hmm. of gymnostalmids look very skink-like. Well, you go back to Antiids <clears throat> too. T uh... I mean, tegus are sort of the new world monitor like. Yeah, yeah, the new world version of of monitors, you know. And they behave yeah. very similar, actually. They have really amazing biologies, and we probably will discuss about that in another episode. <laughs> and then um, we have here also in this group the true lizards, which are the lacertids uh, from uh, the old world, Africa, Europe, Asia. Ro those are rock li or ruin lizards, right? Yeah, Mondosa, Podarsis, Lacerda. Yeah, yeah. everything you know that, that's a real lizard. You know that they have yeah. the, that they're introduced here. I'm in New York, and there's a population. I know of them. they're Podarsis. Oh, cool. yeah. yeah, yeah. And you want to know what the sister taxa, what the sister clay to Lacertis is? Yeah, I do. Amphisbanians. Ah. <laughs> and Amphisbanian is a they for a long time were considered to be a completely different. Uh, group of um, squamates but now we know that they are closely related to lacertids and they're also and the other axolotl you know way? about that yeah the uh in in mexican culture they're also referred to as as the same word because oh, it's really? just a generic for for monster yeah oh funny oh that's interesting but there are several families of uh, amphisbanians the rhinoids which are the ones here that we have in florida uh, bipedids, which are super cool and weird looking, and they, they only they have kept their front limbs, but their body looks like a giant worm. Yeah, this is very rare among reptiles. It's very rare for you to lose your hind limbs and keep your front limbs like yes. a siren. <laughs> they look super really rare. bizarre, really yeah. bizarre looking. I, I've never seen one in uh, in person. But I've seen video. I've seen amazing. video of them. There was just a video yes. that was going around recently of one. Recently, uh, yeah. Yeah, but I've never seen one in person. And and they probably because of their habits, they're not in the. They're hardly ever seen in the in the reptile trade either. Yeah, and so and there are other three um, families that which are the caidids, the caidids, sorry, uh, the trogonophytes, and the amphisbanids which are the ones that I know the most and I'm very familiar with, and they are super cool. We will talk about them soon. And <laughs> now we go into, well, one day we're going to do an, an episode about Toxicophora, but I'm not going to touch that now. Oh, yeah. Because that's, that's, a whole, uh, that's just opening drop a whole, the word. Yes, and move I'm just going to drop the word. That's a whole can of Amphismanians right there. I mean. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and we're going to talk about now about I think Angus. you can call it a fry up. <laughs> a fry up. Yes, because Fry et al. The, yeah. Brian Fry. I got the oh. joke. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about um, uh, Angimorph lizards, which are really cool and include some of the lizards that people like the most, like monitor lizards. So in this group, we have um, Cenosaurids, we have Helodermatids, which are uh, like the Gila monsters, which are the, uh, well, used to be considered the only. Uh, Venomous lizards. They have Mexican That's, beaded lizards and yeah, yeah right. The several species of Mexican beaded lizards and yeah. and the Gila monster. Yeah. Then we have the anilids, which have also lost their 
Um, losing their limbs is also popular in this group. Uh, we have diploglossids. Uh, sorry, we have angids, which has two family, two uh, three uh, subfamilies, and angids are like alligator lizards. Um, slow worm is how you call them in Europe, right, Mark? Slow worms are are just the legless ones. That's yeah. just anguis fragilis. Yeah. Gla yeah. Uh, glass lizard, right? Or is that glass the, the glass lizards are different? That's different. Yeah, those are the and the yeah. sheltopusix. That's how it's called. The, <laughs> the other one. Yeah. Pseudopus. No, what's it? What's the name? What, how you pronounce it? Which one? The 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 giant. Uh, it used to be Ophisaurus, but it's not Ophisaurus anymore. Uh, from Southern Europe, from Greece and Italy. Pseudopus epotus. No, but I know, but uh, the but the, the the name in the popular name, the common name. Shoto. I don't know. It's a European glass lizard. Yeah, and it's I had one once, and they're <laughs> really amazing. Breaky, they're very huge. cool. I found one. Breaky um, bitey I found thing. One, um, yeah. No, but what's the, I, well, I want you to pronounce the common name. Somebody Google it while I talk about the other groups, please. I, I, I don't know what you're asking for. Get the, the, the common name for the, um, the European glass lizard. All right, let me, I'll see. It's just the European glass lizard. In no, what language? Oh, God. Can't you're going to make me Google this when I'm doing this. The palace. Saltopusik. Yes, that's what I was Shelter trying music. to say. I have literally never heard this. Word. I've never heard that's that a common, That's a common name of it, people. Good. Shelter music. <laughs> yes. I'm going to call it the European legless lizard. I like Glad to call it the shelter pussy. Sounds very weird. <laughs> very weird. <laughs> shelter pussy. Yeah, that's, that's how I always knew it. That's the shelter pussy. But it has a... It has a Sharp U. It's supposed to be a shelter pusic. Like, <laughs> it says so in the etymology. That's weird. Anyway, go on. All right, <laughs> let's go on. So in this family, we also have the Shinisaurids, which are super cool, and we'll probably talk about in, in, in uh, the Those are the, the crocodile lizards, Chinese crocodile lizards. Chinese crocodile lizards. Yeah. We have the Lanthanotids, which are the earless monitors. And we have the Baronets, of course, which are the monitors and Komodo dragons, and they're super cool, and this is the largest lizard. And also um, venomous now, we, we think. Well, actually, because that's why I dropped the Toxicoffer, I think. I not say anymore, but lace, actually, all of the animals... But it started with them yes. and lace monitors, right? That was the, the whole thing. Was Well, yeah. We yeah. will talk right, about right, right, it sorry. sorry. All right, so then we have a super cool group, and I think both Mark and I have close relationship with the group, which is Iguanians. <laughs> um, there, there are several families. Chameleons are chameleonidae, is part of this uh, group. Indeed. Yes, Indeed. Mark will talk about profusely uh, about this group in a few is it, future is it episodes, still sure. Is it still divided up like Agamids as the old world and Iguanids as the new world, or is it that all out there? Well, Iguanids have been split as well, so yes. there are multiple different groups here. Okay. Yeah, and, and there are some, yeah. And the animals that used to be part of Iguanidae are also in the old world. And Mark can talk about that also. Yeah. Uh, so this is a biogeography exactly. thing again. This is a biogeography thing. Yeah. Yes. So then there are, like Ethan said, there are agamids, which are agamas and frilled lizards. And, exactly. Uh, all those which are sister to chameleons. Bearded dragons. Which are sister taxon to chameleons, yeah. Right. And then we have all the families that used to be... Uh, in the family Iguanidae, that we used to be subfamilies, now they're families. We have uh, Tropidurids, which are neotropical, like lava lizards, and a lot of cool Andean lizards, and 
they're super cool. We will talk about them in a future episode. We have iguanets, which are the true iguanas. Um, also like the chokwalas here in the United States and uh, uh, the green iguana and all that belong to the family. We have uh, leocephalids, which are the curly tail lizards, which we have here everywhere in Miami, and they're mostly from the Caribbean, but they were introduced to they're Miami. Introduced, yeah, it's like everything mm. is introduced where you are, though. Yeah, yeah. That's, the, that's the fun part of living here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we have um, crotophytids, which are like uh, the colored lizards from the United States, uh, from the desert. So, so Highly, the desert highly, the highly dimorphic, right? Yes. Sexually and dimorphic. They, Super cool group of lizards also. Very cool. Uh, we have Phrynosomatids, which are a very diverse group here in, uh, in North America and Central America, which include fence lizards, spiny lizards, um, um, horned lizards, all those uh, really cool radiation of lizards that occurs here in the, in the uh, United States and Central America. Then we have <clears throat> um, Hoplocercids, which is a really cool group of neotropical lizards and their sister taxons which is polycrotids which are monkey tail lizards they used to uh, be thought as uh, closely relative to anoles but they are not and uh, they are a super 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 cool lizard that kind of it's a they do they have a convergent evolution with chameleons and actually in a lot of parts of uh, latin americans they're called in latin america they're called chameleons um, <clears throat> oh, so this, this, I'm sorry, which group was this? That was, uh, polycro, polycro, polycrotids, like polycrotids. It's basically one genus, polycrotids. Is that used to be the false chameleons that the, the, what used to be animals? No, no, no. Anolis is a, they used to be considered close relative to anolis, but they're not. Okay. But it's not chameleolus. It's not chameleolus. No, no. It's a different one. It's not okay. chameleolus. No, it's polycrotids. Um, they look like chameleons, but they don't have a, really their tail is really long and it's semi prehensile okay but but they do have uh well uh, we'll talk about it in a future episode because we will be here forever if i don't finish this um then we have a I, I think you I'm should sure... i think you should start over and do it in song i don't know <laughs> no no please don't. i don't even my voice is failing me already um, <laughs> we're getting to a plurids. it's getting good Shh. yes we're getting to a plurids, and plurids are the only group that used to be part of the old iguanidae that is found in the in, well not the only group because there's the fiji iguanas also but <clears throat> one of the few groups that is also found in the old world from the old iguanidae um and i'm sure mark will have a lot to say about them they are exclusive to madagascar yes that's and, all there is to say. And they look a lot like tropidurids. Very much. Yeah. Then we have uh, Leosaurids, which are a group um, that looks used to be also considered close, uh, closely related to anolids, but they're not. And then we have um, Leolimids, which is a whole very, very diverse, and I mean very diverse group of South American Iguanians, <clears throat> and some of them are the some of the highest uh, the lizards that live at the highest altitudes because they live very high. Some species live very high in the Andes, um, and then we have the Corytophanids, which are an amazing group, which are basilisks and helmeted uh, basilisks and uh, um, Limanctus, which is a really cool genus. And it's a small family, but super cool looking. And of course, then we have the dactyloids, which are anolis, the most 
diverse genus of lizards. It's only one genus because nobody wants to split it. For now. No, yeah. well, it's because they're monophyletic. Uh, there's no real reason to split it. Okay. Although there are some. Yeah, but I mean, Camellia all used to be all of the chameleons except for Burkizia. Yeah, but the reason so. not to split a knowledge has to do a lot with literature. You know, there's no reason. There's a lot of literature to change because anolis have been used as models okay. in so many things. Can you, uh, splitting stop taxonomic progress. <laughs> <laughs> Can you just talk about their feet for a second? Because I, I think that's cool. Well, a lot of anolis, actually all anolis except one, have um, a, a smooth lamellae on their expanded digits and smooth lamellae on their, um, their uh, digits are kind of similar to what is present in geckos and therefore they are able to cling on smooth surfa surfaces like geckos do. Geckos yeah. do. They are one of the three groups of lizards that have done this. Yes. What's the third? Skinks. There yes. is a single group of skinks that have done it too. Skinks wow, have done everything. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that about skinks. Yeah. Yeah. Most people don't, <laughs> but cool. uh, uh, whatever it's called, the, the green-blooded skink that I yeah. can't remember the name of is um, also Chloro, has Chloro adhesive. something. Yeah. Okay. I can't remember what it's called. Let's keep going. Anyway. <laughs> so let's, actually, let's... close uh, the, the, the um, sister group to this iguanians and, and uh, angimorph lizards are snakes. And snakes is just another group of... Um, lizards, but very, very diverse, actually. And, um, you know, there are some should we, um, should studies. We, should we talk about d diagnostically what separates them? Sure. <laughs> I they have gonna... no eyelids. They do weird things with their tongues. No ears. And they have one of the most important fact. Well, no external ears, but chameleons don't have external ears either. A lot of lizards and have no. Some lizards have. One no of the most important factors is that all of them, but one species and family, acrocordids, uh, have independently moving jaws. Okay. Yes, and actually, a lot of the of the things that separate what a snake is are internal. So um, they are not, you know. The hemipenes. Well, no. Well, the hemipenes help you to organize where they sit. Which snakes exactly. they are. Okay. Yeah. And and snakes are, uh, I was just going to say before that, that um, for people that are wondering where mosasaurs, the group of Cretaceous uh, uh, reptiles, aquatic reptiles, marine reptiles, fit in, yeah. a lot of people consider them to be the sister Varanids. To snakes, to snakes. Oh, I thought it was varanids. No, that's actually the, the most recent um, studies believe they're the sister group to snakes. So, so there you go. That, they could have... Is that because of the whole, were they burrowers? Were they in the water for the well, legless thing? You know, There is still no um, consensus into what the first snakes were, if they were, they lost their legs because they were... Um, fossorial, the word is next, the yeah. next, but, but I'm just going to say that <clears throat> the history of squamies teaches us that <laughs> usually they lose their legs when they are fossorial. So um, that should be taken into consideration. 
Yeah. Exactly. Right. So I'm just going to say really quickly, because there are a billion gazillion snake families, um, <laughs> that we will probably talk about snakes in more detail in future yeah, episodes. Yeah, I would also say there's no point in really going into detail in the snakes, but maybe you can do the super Yes, that's what families. I was going to do. So yeah. remember how Mark uh, mentioned that there's a... a, a what do you call it? It's not. It's not an informal. It's a, a, a um, grade. Yeah, but I'm gonna say about scolicophidia, is um, it's not a natural group, but it's, it's not a natural group. Yeah. But it's a one that is made uh, to house a uh, group of convenience rather than of nature. Exactly. Oh, to like, house snakes like that reptile. look similar. <laughs> no. A bit like no. Well, reptile is an actual clade. Rep it's just not a clade. useful word. Exactly. Okay. This is just Whereas animals that are scolicophidia not... is just a haphazard assemblage of snakes that look somewhat similar to one another, <laughs> but are actually not very close to related. Exactly. Okay. All right. Exactly. All right. And the reason for that is because they're called the blind snakes. They all look like worms <laughs> and they have very, very complicated taxonomy. And I mean very complicated. In, yes. In and a years. lot of that taxonomy is based on soft tissue morphology on the inside, which is yes. ridiculous. Yes. Well... And, 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 so, so to and tell what species you have, you have to crack one open. <laughs> in some cases. <laughs> in some cases. And, and I'm uh, going to say that um, a lot of the species, at least in the neotropics, are really badly described, which makes things much worse. And so, exactly. you know, we're, we're going to deal with that in a future episode. Um, uh, you want to keep talking about other big uh, group of snakes, Mark? Well, I'm I mean, my voice. Basi basically, the snakes break down. I'm also on the verge of losing my voice. Yeah. Um, basically, the snakes break down into in, into like the colubroids are what most people know of as formerly the colubridae that was broken up around 2004, 2005 to split into all of these other things. And so colubrids, colubroids, super family include most of the things that you think of as a snake. Yeah. And then there are all of the elapids and wait a second, I have to pull up. Elapids, elapids are coral snakes and cobras, cobras and sea mambas. snakes. No, actually sea snakes nope. are in a separate uh, family. I thought they the were elapids. Sea snakes are with the rest of the um No, sea snakes crates. are yeah, but they're related to lapids, but I think aren't they uh, considered a different family now? Oh, well, that, that could be. I just always Let me double group. check that. I will double check that in a second. But, no, actually, right. they're considered still a lapis. Okay, cool. Woohoo! <laughs> so, <laughs> and you, of course, you have um, um, very uh, early snakes like Anelius, which is the coral pipe snake from exactly. the Neotropics, and you have Tropidoph. Uh, tropidophytes which are the dwarf boas from central america and the caribbean and yeah. then you have um, you have the absolute shit show that is the boedia <laughs> which is everything that ever looked remotely like a constrictor yes which is boas pythons and boas pythons even the europeltids xenopeltids um, Madagascan boas, which are not related to boas, and then still people disagree that they're not boas, and people keep calling them boa. The <laughs> super super angry. The super super weird looking ungalophinids. Uh, exactly, and then we have the coolest snakes of all, which are of course, um, I've literally just forgotten their name. 
acrocordids. <laughs> They're not so the, cool now, huh? <laughs> the acrocordids are the coolest snakes of all. Oh yeah, the um. So the acrocordids are the elephant trunk or file yes. snakes, which yeah. have this weird skin. Yeah. You uh, you you very, had very some weird. for a while. I have two. I, well, I have one. One of them died, unfortunately, yeah. but the other one's doing well. He scoffs like four fish a week. Yeah, uh, they're, they're <laughs> they very eat a lot cool. of food. So for those of you who don't know what they look like and don't are too lazy to Google, if you've seen the movie Tremors, <laughs> that thing that comes out of the monster's <laughs> mouth, that's what it looks like. I've not seen Tremors, but I know what it looks like because I've got a snake. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They're really weird looking. They're very, very weird looking. They're very unusual snakes. And they don't have the independently moving jaws. And that's why they're so, so different. The the scalation's weird too, right? uh, Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, they have no defined ventral scales, which is another thing that that defines the quote-unquote advanced snakes exactly which is um actually not such a good characteristic (laughs) and then they fall sister to sometimes and sometimes they form a grade with the xenodermatids uh, or yeah xenodermatids which is uh xenodermis or the the dragon snake which is okay very very cool and and of course we have to talk about vipers which is one of the major radiations of snakes which includes you know um uh, it's a widely distributed uh, family responsible for, I would say, most of the snake bites. I, I'm not sure because Australia has a lot of snake bites and those are mostly from elapids. But I know at least in the neotropics, they are, and at least in the yeah. Americas, they could. And Ru- Russell's vipers ca- cause the most snake deaths of any snake in the world, I think. Yeah. Really? So, yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. they live on the verge between rice paddies where the people walk. So you yeah. just walk right into one and then you're, yeah. done, you're done. You can't walk around it, basically. So for all of you who feel that we butcher snakes, yes, we did, because we are running out of time, but we will for sure dwell into this. Exactly. Dwell into this so those are all the detail. things that we will cover. That's it. Yes. <laughs> yep, we've done it. <sighs> Congratulations. We've covered all, we covered all you... of herpetology in the last several centuries and all of the fi- – We that's it. We only need to make this one. Yes. Right. This has been the episode. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the podcast. The one and single episode. <laughs> no, but it. seriously, I want to say that, I mean, if we did butcher snakes and a lot of other groups, but we will treat them with better care. Absolutely. <laughs> Remember to, I mean, to email or tweet at Mark <laughs> your displeasure. Exactly. Yes. You can blame me for anything that we fucked up. Um but yeah, so I mean, under under other circumstances, i.e., when we have listeners and those listeners have questions, we would then follow the segment where we've just discussed all the things, and uh, with with answering some of those questions, because that way the least possible number of people are listening. Yes, because I'm I'm actually exhausted after this. <laughs> I, yes. Well, it was a marathon effort. We yes, literally just—you just literally covered all of the reptiles and amphibians, and actually, all of the tetrapods. I feel like so, you did. You, you. <laughs> it was like watching Jerry Lewis at the end of a telethon or something. You know, it was. Like, yeah. All right. You know. Basically, <laughs> you no longer like... have to go listen to Tetsu. Because <laughs> <laughs> 
you've just heard it all. Uh, oh. There's nothing left. Sorry, Darren. We uh, do it better. We do it better than Darren and John. We call this section the the uh, yeah the Tetsu diss track. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. You know, we were thinking about naming the entire podcast Ooze Tet uh, Stacked Off. <laughs> no, you were thinking but that. I was thinking of that, but uh, I was vetoed. Um, <laughs> anyway, thank you very much for listening. Um, this has been the Squamates podcast. Thank you for your patience. If you want to find us on the internet, um, Ethan is at Black Mud Puppy on Twitter. Gabriel is at Serpent Illis on Twitter. I am at Mark Shirts on Twitter. And the podcast is at Squamates Pod on Twitter. And we have, you can go to www.squamates.com. Squamates Pod. And if you have Squamates Pod. Squamates Pod. Sorry. Squamatespod.com. I do beg you. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to send them to the wrong website. Yeah. And you can send us emails at squamatespod at gmail.com. And uh, we would be thrilled to hear from you. How have we done? Um, how many know, mistakes we made? How many mistakes did we make? Direct We're all mistake to... commentary to Mark. <laughs> no, I think actually Gabriel takes the, takes <laughs> the credit this time. <laughs> Um, but we're very happy to have your questions and comments and uh, we hope that you listen to us in the future yay yay thank you yay Hakuna Squamata and exactly Hakuna as we Squamata. say on the show <laughs> Hakuna Squamata <laughs> <laughs>